No future, no future, no future for you. The following podcast may contain spicy adult language, sensitive topics, and dangerous ideas. If you're delicate and easily offended, you may want to tune in elsewhere. Also, maybe just take a nap. You're also more than welcome to complain directly to the management via email. If it's entertaining enough, we might even read it on the podcast and mock you mercilessly. If outrage continues for more than four hours, please consult a physician. So welcome everyone to episode 21 of the Sprue Cutters Union. My name is Chris Meddings and with me I have Tracy Hancock. Box. And Will Patterson. <laughs> I, can't, I can't top that. Not today. What's up? <laughs> uh, later on in this show we're going to have a fantastic interview for you with Jean Diorama. But first, what have you guys been up to? Will, what's been on your bench? God damn it. I knew you were going to ask me first and I'm not prepared. I have no idea what I'm going to say today so... Can I pass to Tracy and go last? All right. (laughs) Huh? What? Uh, We have a test today? (laughs) Um, Well, I've been uh, been putzing around on the Japanese tank. Uh, So it's it's been... been... Are you ever going to fucking finish it? (laughs) (laughs) This is worse than Will's F-18. Yeah. Well, look, okay, first of all, there, there should be no surprises. I am a slow modeler. I, I make no excuses for it. I have a limited amount of time. I work on it when I can. I have high standards. Um, and that's kind of where I am now with the, like the, just again, getting some feedback on the figures and how they weren't telling the right story. And, and then, uh, you know, we recorded the interview with uh, Jean last week. And he said some things that had me go back and look at my model and think like, okay, this is like, this is something I could maybe some, some non, not not really nonverbal considering that we don't work in a medium of our hobby is not in a medium that is verbal, but uh, with body language, you know, like he, he brought up something about figures needing to interact and I noticed that none of my figures were really interacting with each other. They had, they were reacting to the news of Japan's surrender in their own ways, but none of them were interacting with each other. And I was, I was already starting to kind of tweak the figures to make the story of what's coming out of the loudspeaker be more apparent. Because again, this is not uh, a medium that has sound right so i needed to make it more apparent what they were reacting to and so i pulled out another figure and started messing with it and uh and kind of had it going in a direction that i liked i was actually about to to start painting it and then we interviewed john and and then the idea of interaction came up and i was able to dig around and find a new right arm for the figure that i was working on 
which would allow him to actually reach out in a comforting way and, and sort of be touching the other guy whose head is bowed because of the news. So all of a sudden it was just like, ding, oh shit, mm. this really works now. Yeah. So I've got a little bit this of work. This makes to- me, I, sorry, I got I to gotta interject because the reason I'm sitting over here nodding is because I'm stoked because when you first started talking about that, immediately what I thought of was the one guy putting his arm on the other guy as like, hey, you know, like you said, comforting him. So yeah, that's awesome. So he's he's actually reaching out and comforting his friend, but he's also looking up with kind of fiercely at the at the loudspeaker. So all of a sudden, like just these little tweaks, you know, knowing what wasn't working from the last time we talked and, and starting to to pay some attention and, and put some effort into making that work and realizing that one of the figures that I had fully painted and 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 ready to go, like he was complete. No matter where I put him, he just didn't work. Like he didn't need to be any anywhere that I put him, he didn't need to be there. Like for any reason at all. Why are you here, bro? Yeah. He just, you know, you're writing nothing. He was a distraction no matter where I put him to the story that I was trying to tell. And then getting that new figure assembled and ready to go and then just changing out that one arm and I'm I'm, you know, it's it's not going to always be the case, but I am very lucky that you know, these guys are all wearing the same uniform, so you know, you can swap an arm and a leg here and, and make the body do something slightly different and, and still be like, I'm very attuned to anatomy. So what I'm doing hasn't made the anatomy unnatural at all. And it's actually just told that story a lot better. Yeah. Sometimes when people replace an arm, they'll like put an arm raised, but they won't raise the shoulder. So it just doesn't work because if you lift your arm and you look at your shoulder, your shoulder lifts. Yes. You know, it's not like I can't even do it. It's not mechanically it's not, possible. It's not physically it possible. Like so, you see a lot of that in, in yeah. uh figures where people haven't have maybe not paid a whole lot of attention to the actual anatomy. Like my, my thing is like look in a mirror and do it and, and pay attention to what happens to your shoulders and your hips. Yeah. You know? Like your hips like you could put your hands on your hips and do something with your body and you can feel an arm rise because your your hips rising because you put your leg up on something, you know? So there's more to altering a figure and, and having it anatomically correct than just swapping out an arm. But in this case, this guy's arm was basically, yep. instead of being bent at the elbow, I replaced it with an arm that was straight. Um, nice. It, nice. It so it did it work, is, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is even possible at one thirty fifth scale. It surely wouldn't be for me. But can you make the guy who's looking at the speaker weepy? Like, you know, like his eyes, you know, red rimmed, like he's receiving this news with tears. Is that even possible at such a small scale? Uh, not for me, no. Um, I've got, uh, again, like there, there are certain limitations um, I'm using the mini art Japanese tank set and, and the faces are okay, but once you replace, okay, they're not, they're not okay. They're... <laughs> I'm a big fan of mini art, but their, their heads really aren't that great. And the Japanese set is not one of their best. No, it's sets. not. But you know, <laughs> it's not like there's hundreds of options. Yes. So Hornet makes two sets. I was about uh, to ask, do those guys make any Japanese guys? Yeah, they make two sets, which are actually very good. 
And because I've already replaced one head, the guy bowed with a hornet head. Uh, it's really obvious when you use a, an upgraded head and keep a kit head. You know, it's the difference is, <laughs> is magnified by that. Um, it's like his Mr. So-and-so and his potato friend. <laughs> yeah. So I am, I am lucky enough that I had the headsets that worked for that. Um, but again, you're so limited. Like it, those Hornet sets are nice, but as far as I know, there's like two sets. So, you know. I have to say I'm a big fan of Roger's work, but I also think they look a bit caricature-ish, which limits your options again that you don't necessarily want to use those heads. You use other ones in the set. And before you know it, you're not actually dealing with a lot of heads that you want to use, especially if they, because he's, he's got expressions on them, which is great because you might need that one expression. But if you don't, you can't use that one. So your, your choice is limited even more and stuff like that. Well, so, yeah. And, and the one headset yeah, is a huge range to choose from. One headset has, uh, I think three guys with, with caps and two guys with helmets. So if you're putting a full complement of, of tank crew, then you suddenly have guys wearing helmets when they shouldn't be. Um, or you've got yeah. brothers in arms. You know, you've got two twins working on the same tank because you had to use a second set of Hornet heads. And then the other one is, is uh, they're bald. So that requires, you know, yeah. cutting the top of the head off of one and cutting the, the hat off of another and, <clears throat> there's a lot of opportunity to and the hat won't necessarily fit from the plastic set on no the no, no i'm talking about either. the like because they're slightly larger using so. a, a oh yeah, a, yeah with yeah yeah plastic yeah no the resin hat a, a resin head with a hat on it yeah. cut that off and then oh i got it taking the hat off one head onto yeah the, yeah, yeah so you don't have the same head on two figures that you know again you're working with the limitations of of what the uh what's out there in terms of aftermarket so but anyway uh and I'm waiting on a couple of other like uh, diorama accessories, some shrubs and things like that to be delivered. Which now, now the only the only time I really grumble about this is whenever I'm kind of uh, on a roll and then have to stop and wait for the mail to arrive. But if you're out there listening yeah. and you've got a local hobby shop, man, help them, support them, buy things from them. You don't know how lucky you are. You know, the rest of us having to, to sit here and wait for two weeks for, you know, a little plinkety item, you know, to, to keep things going. I'm happy to help the people that I help through mail order. But, man, it's uh, if you've got a hobby shop, you're, you're a lucky dog. I'll tell you that. I always say never leave a hobby shop empty handed, even if it's just a pot of paint or something. Always buy something when you're in there. I don't think that's a problem for most modelers. Hey, speaking of hobby shops, can I throw in a quick little aside here? Um, you since, can. I'm done. You can do yeah. your thing. Oh well, no, I'm not volunteering for that yet. Uh, but um, <laughs> but but uh, I just wanted to say this just popped into my head. I um, so you guys that have listened to us going back to you know last year know that we did a special interview with Matt Bowl around Thanksgiving. And that he had uh, been going through some tough times because he'd revamped his website and the whole Google algorithm thing was was screwed up. And he just, you know, he, he was having a rough go of it. And a lot of people don't realize that Matt's a one man band. And, you know, like his inventory, his warehouse is his is his basement. I mean, he does a remarkably good job for 
um, you know, being a one-man show, uh, but he's had some challenges, and he's been struggling to keep up with some things. Uh, but I talked to him. I actually gave him a call a couple of days ago. I just wanted everybody to know that he's still alive. He's still trying to get things moving in the right direction. Um, he, in fact, um, look, this is keeping it real, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He actually had to take a second job doing some contracting work, doing some construction. So if you're out there and you're, you know, missing an email uh, from Matt or you feel like he's, you know, not gotten back in touch with you, um, just keep after him, you know, and, you know, uh, I mean, look, you got to do what you got to do. If you got to get your money back or whatever, you got to do what you got to do. You got to get your supplies elsewhere. You got to do that. And Matt totally understands that. But I just hope everybody out there also understands that Matt's a human being and he's not trying to. He's not trying to, uh, to, you know, to fuck up anybody's program. He's just trying to keep his own program afloat, and he's working hard to do that. And he does feel like things are going back in the right direction. So I felt like that was good news worth delivering. Yeah, absolutely. We wish him the best. Yeah. Well, as we know as well, when things go a bit sideways sometimes, people just knowing what's going on can be a big, yeah, you know, yeah, abs- a abs- big thing. Absolutely. And look, small business is hard. I mean, it's really easy for people to just sit out on the sidelines when all they've ever done is go to an office every day and do what somebody tells them to do, and they haven't had to maintain the responsibility of doing sales and operations and inventory management and all of that decision-making, knowing that that's what keeps a roof over your head. I mean, look, you guys can speak to that way better than I can, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a thing, and I hope people are not too judgmental. Talking of keeping people informed, the book went to print, the Models for Ukraine book went to print last week. And uh, I've had a few emails now saying, you know, not where's my book at, but can you let me know what's going on? Has it got lost, etc.? It does take a while for books to get printed. So I've spoken to the printer today and they've given me a date of, I should have it delivered on the 8th of April. So not as soon as I would have hoped, but considering they're doing it for less than cost. I'm not going to complain too much about the speed they're doing it in. So um, if you've ordered it, it will be available then. If you haven't ordered it, uh, then it's available from insidethearmor.com. Also, I spoke to a few friends uh, at model companies in Ukraine before I came on because a lot of people are saying, you know, you can't order anymore. Uh, because obviously the country's at war and what have you, but a lot of them are still working. So um, the ones I've spoken to so far are Dora Wings, Armoury, Proper Plane, and Wingsy Kit and Foxbot decals. Foxbot don't sell direct anyway, but they are still supplying their suppliers. So you can order from the usual places, uh, such as Hanant's Aviation Megastore, Martola in Poland, Moja Hobby in Poland, Super Hobby, HobbyGames.com in uh, Ukraine and Hobby.dn.ua. And they're all supplied. So if you want those Foxbot decals, uh, that's the place to go. Wingsy, Dora and Armory are operating as normal. Proper Plain tell me that they've got a six-month waiting list now for wooden props. So it's unlikely that you'll get one anytime in the near future, even if you order. They are still working there and they are still selling all their nice resin bits and other stuff as well so um do do support these companies because they're using that money to support their own government which is obviously fighting for its uh, existence in ukraine yeah 
Yeah, thank you for the news update. Um, quick question about the book. How you've, you've sold a lot of pre-orders, a huge amount of pre-orders, but um, how much of the print run is uh, still available after the pre-orders are filled? Uh, I've sold 530 copies out of 1,000. Okay. So there's still 470 left. Uh, now, what I've done is, although the percentage I quoted to go to charity um, was quoted, what I've, I'm not take, amortizing the cost across all of them. The costs have already been paid. So, so far, we've raised 8,000. And of the next 430 sold, the only thing coming off those will be transaction fees, which is about 1.6% so uh depending on how you pay so over 90 percent of every book sold from now will go to the charity and we've already donated eight thousand to uh disaster emergency committee thanks to people that have bought the book thank you so much also actually while we're here thank you so much to all the podcasts as well also to guideline publications for running adverts in all their magazines awesome and uh, afv and air modeler for running the advert as well yeah absolutely and dude it's just so impressive i mean eight thousand pounds for you know for everybody over here in in in, in america land what that's like that's that's like over ten thousand dollars i mean that's not that's not insignificant i mean that's that's impressive dude no but i'm hoping by the end of it it will be around seventeen eighteen thousand when all told so uh yeah, yeah. i mean so it's not a huge amount of money, but it hopefully it'll buy a lot of blankets, a lot of sleeping bags, a lot of you know medical supplies and all the other stuff they need, especially in the news at the moment from like Mariupol and Chernihiv is so horrific. So, well, it's more than any of us could do on our own, you know. Like, Absolutely. It, it Absolutely, it certainly yeah. feels like a drop in the bucket when you're when you're giving fifty or a hundred dollars, you know, like uh, you know that's we're not you know celebrities who are donating or matching million dollar. Uh, donations and things like that but i think well i know al murray did a couple of gigs to raise money and i think he raised twenty thousand. but that just goes to show a lot of people like al yeah. murray but it's so good of him to donate all all the take from those two shows yeah to, that's the to, kind of guy he uh, is though, you know disaster mercy community as well but yeah he's he's a good but guy. look man i th i think in some ways that what you've done is more impressive because you didn't have a pre-existing platform so to speak, the way that somebody like Al Murray does. I mean, he's already famous. He's already got, you know, he's already on TV. Lots of people know who he is. I mean, you had to use all your community relations skills and pull some. I used up a lot of and, and pull, but but and and to pull something together. And that's look, man. I don't think you should ever undersell that effort because that's that's a that's a. That's a really impressive thing, and you did a good thing. And you didn't do it for yourself. You're not calling in your your favors with everybody to publish a book of models that you want to publish that's just benefiting you and the people who are in it. Like, you know. No, they don't tell me to fuck <laughs> <laughs> Quite rightly. Yeah. <laughs> Line your pockets, get fucked. <laughs> but the, the thing I think is... The, the nice symmetry to it, or if that's the word, is that so many model companies in Ukraine, and it's kind of like they're helping because it's their models in the book, and it's people like yourselves building their models for free and everything. You know, it's like modeling is helping them, they're helping their country, you know, and that's that's kind of nice. And it's something we can do, you know, in our little community as well. Yeah. 
yeah. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest, um, you know, the, the most important part of it to me is, is that you were able to get this community together in a way and, and give kind of in bulk something to, you know, all the, the modeling companies and the, the people in Ukraine, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to, to feel like you've done anything. And I feel like, I think it's a nice book too. I mean, it's not like you're just donating money. You're getting a nice yeah. book. So it looks like it's going to be cool. I know I ordered mine a couple of days ago. Thank you. Yeah, no contributor copies this time. Sorry. Yeah, and and I would never have asked. I, I would have insisted on buying one no matter what. So yeah, we all did. But but hey, speaking of books, I mean, we can't we can't talk about books and not mention the fact that Perfect Pits seems to be uh, seems to be doing really well too, right? It's well received. This is really funny. When I did the first scratch building masterclass, I thought no one's really going to buy this, but it's just something I want to do. And I think it'd be a nice book. And it turned into a bit of a franchise because I managed to get like, I can't think now, three books out of it. And they've all done really well. When I was thinking that being said, I've got one more planned. It was supposed to be for this year, but it might be next year now. Uh, scratch, but which is going to be purely scratch building armor. But, I'm thinking I need another I need another series to replace this. What can I do? And uh, <laughs> this cockpit book, people love it. It's like <laughs> that too is more than half sold out. It's like two thirds sold out, and that's phenomenal for me. That kind of speed since it was released or a month ago, and half of it's gone. It's amazing. That's really good yeah. for me. Uh, and shops are coming back for their second order that's really awesome. quick too, which is that's good because awesome. it's sold sold all over the world so yeah i'm going to do more books in that format with that kind of content and yeah that's the next thing is is uh smaller books to to have on the bench and to refer to and stuff but well, not and, all about cockpits well and, and, think, you know, and you're and you're getting you're, you're getting some some help from our mates down under because the uh the on the bench guys have talked it up yeah, quite a bit. God, that's yeah. been really good and and chris becker we can't forget to mention that he did a really nice review of it on his youtube channel so yep. we should put a we should put a link to that in the uh well you know chris is just super engaging his style okay an invoice now <laughs> his uh his style is good i mean honestly even if he'd said terrible things about it it still would have been a good video um but but he you know he liked the book so i think we should put a link to that in the show notes and obviously, if you're thinking about ordering the Ukraine book, you may as well throw in the cockpit books in the in the shopping yeah, absolutely. cart. Absolutely, take advantage of the, the thing about the cockpit book. One of the things I think that makes it popular, and I've got more overseas sales with it, is because I've kept it small. The weight's low, mm-hmm. which means the shipping yeah. is lower. But it also means if you add it in with another book when I post it together, that's still under the maximum weight for what they call a large letter. So it still goes on the cheaper postage yeah. rate. So yeah. You'd be an idiot not to. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but if you put one of my other books in it, oh my God, the postage suddenly leaps up. <laughs> Tom sold a, a ton in Germany too. Yeah, so. yeah. What else have you been up to? Have you had time to do anything other than work on books? <laughs> well, we might not have time to uh, do the rest of the show if I tell you everything <laughs> I've been up to. I've been super fucking busy. Uh, I've got really far on the Churchill diorama. I've made, I put the base together out of foam and it was awful and you two quite rightly pointed out that it was a horrible shape and way too big and all (laughs) kinds of things so i've made another one which is rectangular but to keep it because it's a road down a hill so it's on like an angle i don't know it's not as steep as the first one i did i think it's probably 
about it might still be about 40 degrees quite steep um yeah so i I built that but i've put the road at an angle and i'll what i'll do is put the tank uh, across it so it's not straight down it and then i'll have the tank going down it like in a slide sideways which is always the plan anyway but because as you suggested tracy angle the road now the tank's angled as well i only have to make it a smaller angle mm-hmm. um for it to become more exaggerated for it to look more exaggerated which is what I want, but without the base being too wide. Because the problem with Churchill's are, uh, from memory, the model's about 22 centimetres long and about 10 wide. They're really oh, narrow, but really but long, which makes them a bitch to put under a base. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so it's a bit of a trick, uh, but that, that seems to have worked. And um, I've got a new favourite basing material as well, which is water-based acrylic wood filler. I'll get the name of it in a minute. But that's great. Uh, the reason I use I use that rather than the usual filler powder, white filler powder, is if it cracks because it's brown already to match wood colour. Although it's a terrible. Whatever idiot used that to repair wood and doesn't paint over it or <laughs> blend it in, it won't look right. But anyway, if it cracks at any point for any reason, then you won't see white showing through the mud, if you see what I mean, which is always a problem you see on people's bases that if they have a shock or something... And that's plaster underneath. You get a nice white line across your dark wood, uh, dark mud base. But of course, it's going to have snow on that one anyway. So I've done that, and I've been working on an ICM. We talked about it last time, I think, the ICM C18S. And <laughs> I lost a window, and I spent Christ knows how long looking for it. Probably like a whole day looking for it. And then um, I thought, oh, I've lost it. I'll vat form one. So I made a buck and vat formed that and it's slightly the wrong shape so i made another one and another one and vat formed it and vat formed it and i'm getting bubbles in my vat form because it's too hot or it's too cold so it's not forming properly and all this and i got really pissed off and i thought right i'm just going to chuck it all in the box and when the war's over i'll contact icm and see if they can send me a new sprue because i don't want to bother them at the moment and uh i put in the sprues in the box and it was still on the sprue i never cut it off <laughs> <laughs> thought i'd cut it off and i spent <laughs> i spent days looking for it and it was on the sprue the whole time <laughs> so yeah for for that fresh idiocy <laughs> that's what i've been up to what about you will what have you been up to well i'll 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 i will say but i just wanted to, <laughs> to say chris to chris i i I think you're doing a, a a bang up job on your diorama, and I know it's been a little bit of a of a creative iteration for you, but I think it's going to be cool when it's done. I just really loved uh, on your figures, and I, I know I put a laugh emoji when you posted those, and I want to make it clear. Oh yeah, I, yeah, that wasn't about your figure painting skill. That was about the fact that your figures actually made me laugh because he's clearly terrified. Like you did a great job of giving. It's uh, a hornet head. Well, you, you did, but but you had to paint it. You know, it, I mean, you well, it was clearly also the body gave, language of the sculpt. Yeah, I mean, you and you made that happen. He's, you know, you you're the fact that you were able to to bring emotion into this tiny little space is really cool because that's a hard thing to do. And we've you know we've talked about that a lot with some of these really top level diorama guys. And uh, I'm bummed that I missed it's the... It's probably uh, a bit over the top. But it sells it. But I kind of feel like in 135th, yeah. you have to turn it up to 11 slightly yeah, it, it, for it, it to work. It, you know, it, you can't... It sells it. I, I wish that I had that I had not had to miss the interview with, with John uh, because 
you know, I wanted to hear and ask him about how he brings emotion to his dialogue. Because, he, I mean, that guy's, he does it, you know, so fluidly with just like a couple of elements. Um, you, you know, like the one in particular with the lady who's throwing the flower pot off the balcony. I mean, there's no doubt what's going on there, right? She's fucking pissed. And, yeah. and that's just that's just such a, a, a hard thing to accomplish um, at scale. And when you're working with, you know, figures that are already molded for you. So good on you, man. Good stuff. Well, I mean, he makes his own figures. So. Well, I know, yeah. Something we didn't mention at the time in the interview, but something I really love about his work. I don't want to go into too much because we'll talk about it after the interview. But it's everything he's done for the last few years or so. It's been civilian as well. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show if, you know, which in modeling, which is 99% military, it feels, it's not a choice between military or passenger aircraft, you know, jetliners, cars and trucks. There is a third way (laughs) of civilian figures, which are are far, you know, which could be really just as, that sounds patronizing to say they're just as interesting, but you don't even think about what the genre is because they're that good, you know, and you don't have to have a guy with a gun on everything you make. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. All right. Well, so uh, so my entire time uh, since we last got together has been spent working on my Viking bust project. And uh, I, I, had, I, had, I had two goals, one of which was to finish by the end of March. And I did. Uh, slid in there with a couple days to spare and never felt rushed. So that was that was kind of cool. Um, that sort of tells me that I was struggling less, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure the results <laughs> bear that out. Um, but because I, I did definitely struggle on certain parts of it. Uh, but I actually had a lot of fun with it. Um, and my other goal was to try and learn some shit. And I did. I can, you know, I could point to at least one specific thing that I think is really powerful. Like maybe even an aha moment. Um, I... Um, I, like I was telling Tracy when we talked about this last time, I really, like, don't feel like I know what I'm doing when it comes to painting figures. And and what I mean specifically is, like, with vehicles, I know how to get where I want to go. Like, I have a really solid vision. I have a reference photo or hundreds of reference photos. I know where I want to go, and I know what materials to use to get there because I know how the materials are going to going to behave. And also with with like an aircraft model, my 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 toolbox with materials is relatively narrow. I use lacquers, I use some acrylic inks, I use some oils, I use enamel panel line washes, and that's it, pretty much. Like I almost never pick up a bottle of acrylic paint, for example, for um, for uh, vehicle work, unless maybe for detail painting. Anyway, I know how I'm going to get there. But with figures, first of all, I struggle with the vision to begin with. Like I thought about the Viking guy forever. Like what color palette am I going to use? What color is his you know, shirt going to be? And, and, and so I struggle with that part to begin with. But then I just straight up don't know how I'm going to get there. Like, I don't know what the materials are going to do in my favor or not. And so like with the Viking, I, you know, uh, like all those little paint charts that tell you what you can and can't do supposedly, (laughs) 
I 100% disproved all of that bullshit because literally just about everything I own is on that fucking bust. I mean, it's got it's got lacquers, enamel panel line washes, oil paint, acrylic ink, acrylic paint. It's got a clear acrylic lacquer or, or clear uh, lacquer on top. I mean, then there's places on there where I've got like a half a dozen layers of MRP super clear mat because I use that as my safety net, right? Like when I do something and I feel like, okay, I can live with that. I want to protect that from whatever I'm about to do next. I just lock that shit in with some with some clear clear flat lacquer, like on the eyeballs. As soon as I felt like I had the uh, the irises round enough, it's just you know sort of a really really super dark blue dot. I spray a little bit of flat clear right there in the eyeball to make sure that I don't you know that when I come back and fumble my way through painting the the eye, the, the pupils that I don't screw up what I did before. So it's, it's, I just feel like it's, it's a, it's a rolling disaster, honestly. And, uh, but I got done. But the one thing that I really feel like I, I learned that was super important is, you know, people talk about using glazes, acrylic glazes with figure painting. And I've always thought I was thinning my, my, my paint enough when I tried to do that. But for whatever reason, there were a couple of times when I was using acrylic ink and I ended up with something that was like 95% thinner and just a tiny bit of ink. I mean, not even as, as, as opaque as iced tea. And it was magic. Like, because it, it, like when you first put it on, it, you'd like, I didn't even do anything. And then you do it again and it's, and the, and the tone starts to appear and you're like, okay, I can really sneak up on this, um, and and I and it was like, okay, aha, now I get that, now I get it, because um, because you can work your way into uh, a shade without suddenly finding yourself having gone too far and, and unable to correct it, and um, so theoretically, that's... it would give you smoother transition, the ability to do smoother transition yeah. as well. Hundred percent, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and like, just as a specific example, I, I, I the uh, the sculpt of the Viking has a a what appears to be a scar or a cut over his left eye, and I put a a dark red wash in there to depict that it was sort of like scabbed over or whatever. But you know how it is when you got you, you always have a little bit of pink around a fresh you know yeah. even if it's and, and and I and I and I I was able to sort of give him that sort of pink tone right around the wound by using a really super diluted magenta ink. When I looked at it in the cup I was like there is no way this looks this will look stupid. But because it was so thin I was able to just start, you know, just like it just took one or two uh, applications. And then because of the trick with uh, using 409 on those acrylic inks, I was actually able to blend the edges of my little stain 
and and keep it from looking like there was a transition there. And honestly, of all the stuff that I did on that bust, that little area around that cut is one of the things I'm most proud of. So, so anyway, yeah. The um, when you're diluting the the acrylic paint or ink, you know, ninety five percent to five percent. Is there a chance that that just becomes a like a, a panel line wash? Like, does it does it move? Does it tend to accumulate around, uh, you know, any kind of a surface? It it it, do, it 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 definitely does. I mean, that's that's also how I did. Like, he's got wrinkles on his forehead, and that's how I did those as well. But those came out a bit too dark, as several people pointed out. Because I still did not understand what people really mean when they say thin the shit out of that to create that glaze. I mean, it's way, way beyond thinner than a panel line wash. It, huh. it, it's, it sort of behaves like one in that it will, it will collect. It has to be almost invisible. It, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll collect in the low spots the way that a wash does, but the first couple of passes you won't even know it's there so it, it, yeah just mind you that's how i do panel washes too you, you should sneak up on them i find because it's really easy to overdo them. yeah for sure for sure i mean it, yeah it's um by which i mean get them darker than you mm -hmm. want rather than darker than i mm -hmm. think is suitable and, and that's the <laughs> yeah I mean, and, because also they tend to darken as they dry which which can be a real mm -hmm. issue but that's the i think maybe that's the overall real important lesson here too is that it's always easier to go darker than it is to go lighter yeah it's always easier to put more on than mm -hmm. take it off absolutely so again i don't you know i i mean i'm 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 stoked with the with the with the with the result on the project because uh, I don't think it's terrible, but you know, as again, I still feel like it was a struggle, and um, I, uh, you know, the, there's just parts of it like like it's, it presented an interesting conundrum. Okay, so so the, the 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 sculpt is really detailed right you guys saw like the buckles and all that stuff is really beautifully mm -hmm. sculpted and but the hair and his beard and the fur and his cape i mean i i i think that the, it's Laban archer he's the digital artist who did it and he's amazing he managed to to to, to do all that but you can only i mean you you can only make hair so realistic right if it's going to be printed or 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 or, or right or, or molded and i think it would take a painter i have to say though i've seen sculpts with much better hair and fur than that i wasn't too impressed with i, that, I to agree i agree uh, and and so it presents this conundrum because there's all this stuff that around it that's like pretty realistic and that like the leather and stuff like that Again, I kind of have like a like a a path for that stuff, so I kind of know how to make it look sort of realistic. But then the hair, it's like, oh shit, what am I going to do now? And as a number of people pointed out, like I even got Margot Crombeck to look at it, and she was she said exactly the same thing. Like I was really stoked that she liked all my my skin work and the eyeballs and you know, the stuff that for me I was most terrified about. But she also said, yeah, the hair and the fur, you know, 
And, and it's, I, I honestly don't know what to do there. You know, I don't know how. I mean, it would take somebody of much greater skill and talent than I to, I think, rescue that. And it's this weird, uncanny valley. Like, you, you, I mean, you guys are working on, on figures to go with your tanks. You know that you can build a really realistic looking tank. Like, those effects are relatively easy to make sort of photographically real. But figures, especially if they're poorly molded, much more difficult. So there's this uncanny valley, right, that's really hard to get across. And and in the case of this bust, because it's so large, that uncanny valley was all right there in the same same place. Same focal area. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. Some things are much easier on a large-scale bust than they are on a 135th figure. And some things are much harder sure. to do yeah. well on a large-scale figure because you can see it. And one of them is, is hair and things like that. On a 135th, you can get away mm-hmm. with a lot with hair and stuff. Yeah, like there's no place to hide on a 16th scale bust. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's all right there for, for everybody to see. Um, it, it, but like the detail resolution made a lot of that stuff just fun. I mean, I honestly did do a lot of stuff with just washes and, and highlights. And it was fun and easy, and you know, you, you you can't get away with that on a really small scale. One of the things I wasn't so keen on, I talked to you about this, was the beard mm-hmm. and the transition from the skin to the beard. But the more I looked at it, it's the sculpt because it looks like he's wearing. Right, it looks like one of those stage beards, right? <laughs> That's yeah, or like it's something made out of plastic right. and formed to his face because it's got a really sharp well, edge. There's no whereas if you look at your own beard, it, you know, it kind of it's like the edge right. of a forest. The mm-hmm. trees are a bit thinner and a bit shorter yep. at the edge, and they get thicker and denser. And and uh, on the if it's not on the sculpt. You can either re-sculpt it or you've got to work with what you've got. Yeah, you only get that hard separation if you shave that way, uh, which obviously in the 13th century. Yeah, and then you end up looking like, <laughs> right. you know, some, you end up looking like Craig Davis. But I took, your, I took your feedback to heart and I spent some time trying to sort of pick out some, some individual hairs along the edge of the, of the hairline and the, and the beard line. And obviously, I didn't do a great job because you didn't notice that I that I took your advice. But I did try. I did try. I did try. So, I, I think you were limited. It, it was definitely better, but I think yeah, you were limited by the scope. Yeah, there's just a certain because yeah, light's going to hit it in ways you just can't yeah, get around. And, to. and and I just you know I just have to accept that there's just a certain point there where my my skill and talent, you know, I'm 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 writing checks on a project like that that my skill and talent can't cash. Not yet. It's the same on all projects. So, yeah, that's just exactly it. On all projects, if you think, you know, people, this is the same thing that stops people weathering their tanks because they don't want to ruin it. You're never going to make something that's perfect. You've just got to get to the point on every project. This could be a good subject. (laughs) (laughs) Where you just got to say it's done, you know, and you've got as much out of that one as you're going to get. And the next one, you're going to work on something a bit harder or something a bit different. And, you know, you've got to take the lessons from it and call it finished. Yeah. And I think really good advice somebody was talking about the other day is pick one thing and and just focus, super focus on that one thing. And you do something like that on each project. And then eventually one day you're like, shit, I've got this whole toolkit full of, of things that I can apply to this new thing, new project. I think it's also, uh, 
maybe a little more challenging and a little more frustrating for people who have a skill set with a subject. You know, like my my skill set is with armor. If I were to try to build a one thirty second, you know, uh, phantom, you know, uh, then I would I feel like I would be frustrated by the fact that I I know what I'm doing with this other medium, and I'm. I don't have that same kind of confidence and my abilities and the same kind of skill set in another medium. So it's almost like if you're, if you're at the bottom and you model everything, you're at the same skill level. And if you keep modeling everything <laughs> as your skill improves, it improves across the board. But what most of us do is like, Oh, I like tanks. I'm going to build tanks. I'm going to build tanks. And then somebody's like, Hey, you should paint this bust. You're like, uh, I build, I build tanks. <laughs> Like, no, try a bus. Like, it's going to be a bus. I'll tell you that. It's kind of weird as well because you have a lot of confidence in your, your skills and techniques and experience. And it's like starting to, it's like finishing university and going back to kindergarten. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So it's yeah. like you either have to be very determined, like, okay, I'm going to master this and I realize where I am on the skill level set and I'm going to keep working and I'm going to get better with each one and I'm going to, I'm going to get this skill set up to the same point as it is with other uh, subjects that I like to build, or you just fucking throw a tantrum and just like, I am never going to touch this shit again. I'm just going to continue being good at my one thing. There are two kinds of modelers that I, well, there are many kinds of modelers depending on what you're talking about, but (laughs) there is a certain type of modeler out there that has a comfort zone and likes to stay in it, that they like building X and Y, and they're very happy to just keep building X and Y forever the same way they've always built it because they enjoy that. And that's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. But, you know, part of the reason I'm friends with you two guys is because you like to challenge yourselves. And that's exactly what you've done with this bust. Will is jumped in with both feet on something. You've done some figures before, I know, but still, you know, you're not someone who does a lot of figures. Or yeah, I would think would call themselves a figure painter. No, and, no um, definitely not. This is actually number 13 in, what, like eight years since I've been back at, at scale mm-hmm. modeling. And for the most part, every one of my figure projects has been has been different, like different scale, different subject. And, and one thing that really good figure painters all seem to say consistently is, you got to do it and do it and do it and do it. I mean, these guys paint 13 yeah. figures in, you know, a half a year. So, you know, I don't know that I'll ever get there, but I do like to, I do like to push myself. Why wouldn't you get there? All you have to do is keep doing it. That, that's, that's the way you got where you are with the aircraft models is I, you kept doing it. Maybe, maybe. I, 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 I don't know. I, and then this gets into something that I think we're going to talk a little bit about and that's style. So maybe we save that for a minute, but I honestly don't know that I'm ever going to get to where I want to be in terms of style. Cause I just don't know that I have the talent. Honestly, I just, I don't, I don't know. Ah, uh, you have, yeah. it's not the talent. It's the eye. You just need the eye. If you can recognize the style, you can get there. Maybe, yeah. maybe, I don't know. There's, yeah, I agree. There's, there's I agree. There. And if not, fuck it. You'll have a lot of fun trying yeah absolutely well you're gonna get better like you just are yeah (laughs) repetition uh of you know unlike the the saying you know in this case repetition will yield different results you know hopefully 
as long as you're learning something. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, the saying that if you want different results, you got to use different methods is, is absolutely true. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, if, if you're just doing it badly and you just keep doing it the yes. same way, you're going to keep doing it badly. Um, but but th- there again, the term badly, oh, God damn, that's such a, a, such a minefield when it comes to figure painting. And, and I want to talk about that, but I don't know if this is the exact moment. So anyway. Well, I mean, the only other thing I was going to say is that we're this podcast and the people that we've been fortunate enough to have on as guests and talk to, they, they're pushing our own work, our own desire to do our work better. Mm-hmm. They're the conversations we have, like with Jean Diorama, just the, you know, him mentioning that figures need to interact and then looking at really, really good diorama makers and their figures interact, whether they're like physically leaning against each other or, you know, they're, they're interacting in a way that tells the story and then going back and looking at, at what you're doing and you're like, okay, that's missing. Like that, that's a thing that's missing. And now that's a thing that I need to make sure isn't missing anymore in my work, you know? And, you know, whether it was Chris or, or Margot, like we, we've had these guys who are phenomenal figure painters. And I think the conversations that we have with them, they, they just drop this knowledge, these little bits, you know, that we're like, whoa, 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 back up. You did what? That, how did you do that? Holy shit. Then that's. Even just a way of thinking about it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we kind of have a leg up, you know? And we're giving every, you know, hopefully everybody who listens kind of feels that way too. Like these people that we have on, no matter what their their medium that they work in, or you know, figures or aircraft or you know, dioramas or tanks or whatever, they're these guys all have like serious knowledge to drop, and they do. And if it's not kind of making you look at your work in a different way, then uh, I don't know that we're listening to the same podcast. I have to say, I think, I think that's why people listen to this podcast. Because, like I was saying, you guys like a challenge; they do too, yeah. and that's what they want. Yeah. You know? yeah, they want to have their ideas challenged as much as as challenge themselves. But you know, it's also just—I mean—the fact that I felt like I could go to Margot and just hey, say, hey, you know, would it be an imposition if I asked you to look at this? And she was like, heck yeah! Mm-hmm. She was just super cool about it. And she gave me great feedback and, 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 and feedback. And this is, again, this is, I I feel like I really want to talk about this a bunch today um, if we have time, but feedback is such a, a complex thing, whether you're on the giving or the receiving end, but in particular, the giving of good feedback is much more complicated than I think a lot of people really realize or understand. And, so for me, it was really rewarding to have her, you know, like give me some specifics that I could identify. And, and that's actionable, you know, for my next project. And, and she gave me some examples, like she pointed to some of Kirill Kaneev's work. And she's like, you know, look what he did here that, you know, addresses your specific concerns. And I'm like, okay, now my simple mind can compute that shit. Well, maybe... Yeah. Get his book, seriously. I do. Um, I have his book. 
Uh, totally. So all the answers are in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a different. It's a very no, good book. No, yeah, I mean it is, but is there but an index for all the answers where you're like, hmm? It's no. But, but, but let's but let's be honest. I mean that book is also a version for dummies. That that book is also kind of geared towards you. Like you, I feel like you almost need to be at a certain level before that book is really going to help you get to the next level. If that makes sense. I mean, it's dense and it's not, I mean, it, anyway, that's just my perception of the book. Well, I think if it's, I mean, if it's okay with you guys, maybe this is a good time to talk about feedback. Uh, so I know we're about to, we're about to actually pick up a topic, but um, so, and, and we're, you know, a little random this, this week, um, kind of like we were last time, totally unscripted uh, and off the cuff. So I have a couple of things. Because I... I didn't prepare anything. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but but I have a couple of things I want to mention that are just that are super random. Um, one is um, in the same vein that I talked about last time with the demise of of testers slash model masters. <laughs> so. The other rumor that's been going around like wildfire on the old interwebs is the demise of future. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. Yes. Future there as is the in. future. <laughs> and England's dreaming. For England's dream. The future is dead. And look, I know a lot of guys like to use future or pledge floor care or revive it or whatever the fuck the latest brand name is. Floor fudge. Yeah, and there was a long time there where people were talking about it going away. And in fact, it had only just changed brand names. And, you know, there were people who were selling it for 50 bucks a bottle on, on eBay. So, well, now it's real. They could have changed the formula and it won't work. Yeah, well, I don't think they ever actually yeah. did change the formula. But now it is real. Because a guy in one of the groups I that I that I pop in and out of now and then said, "Yeah, futures they're discontinuing," and I was like, "Really? Come on, how do you know that?" And he actually like sent a message to him and then posted the reply, and they were straight up like, "Yep, we're discontinuing it, um, but we're going to continue to try and create exciting products." Blah blah blah. So yeah, the usual is, marketing answer yep, to make room yep. on the shelves for new and exciting products. That that is the official answer from the SC Johnson staff. Future, the future mm. is dead. So, yep. Sorry if you're one of those people who thinks it's they broke magic. their pledge. Yep. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> No future, no yeah. future, no <laughs> future for you. So yeah, if you're one of those people who think it is magic modeling juice, you better uh, better buy the shit now. So hey, what am I going to put on my floor? Can I just say I'm really looking forward to the YouTube comparison videos of various floor polishes to find the new future. <laughs> Or whatever else they can dig out of their mum's cleaning closet. Yeah, it'll be interesting times. I mean, look, I, I don't hide the fact that I think the stuff is junk. It's garbage. And there's much better alternatives. But if you use it in magic wash, right? I, I used to. My first time, first time I did, and then I just right. started using aqua gloss. Because um, it's harder. It's better. It, it flows better. It does everything better. Um, you know, look, the future has, it's like any material it, it, there's things that it's, that it works pretty good for. And if you like to use it, then that's awesome. That's great. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, so gone. Um, the other thing that we have to mention is, uh, the Musaru cup, right? 
congratulations to Mike Basquet. Yeah, yeah. They uh, that that contest uh, they they uh, did the judging or or whatever they did at Heritage Con, which is the IPMS Toronto mm-hmm. show. And uh, yeah, so congratulations to Mike Basket. He had a really cool concept. You were right, Chris. I thought they all had to build the same kit, but they all built uh, new different kits. But it was a theme. It was all gun. Yeah, it was all Gundam, all Gundam stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, or Gunplo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right, right, and uh, some really cool concepts. But Mike's was neat, and uh, I would encourage anybody to go and take a look at those. There were fewer players in the field than i thought um but i don't know maybe maybe they didn't all make it to the finish line or even the starting line i don't know but the uh, half dozen or so contestants who submitted entries all did a really good job and hopefully we'll get a chance to play uh the next next year's contest if they'll have us yeah all right so uh we'll take a quick break right there uh we'll be back with our uh topic for this week Gangsters, let's talk about the details, because I think you'll all agree, the details matter. And if you're as obsessed by detail as we are at the Sprue Cutters Union, you should be buying parts from Anna's. Look, I've known Tom Anna's for a while, and I can tell you that he is a man with a single-minded dedication to improving detail, whether it's 3D printed parts like knobs, switches, connectors that you can use in cockpits, decals, braided lines for your engines and hoses, or even 3D files that you can print at home on your own 3D printer, Tom's got you covered. He's really thought this through because he's a model maker and he uses this stuff himself. And now, Annie's is also the European Union seller for the new book from Inside the Armor called Perfect Pits. So not only can you buy the stuff you you can read all about how to use it in this neat little volume that our very own Chris Meddings has produced, and it includes articles from Tom, your own Veen, and myself. And don't forget, you can get a Sprue Cutters Union exclusive discount, 15% off when you enter the code SCU at checkout. So, if the details matter as much to you as they do to us, head on over to Anis, that's A-N-Y-Z dot I-O right now and arm yourself with everything you need for your very own perfect pit. Welcome back. Because Will mentioned, yeah. he mentioned something about critique and how we could talk about that. And I think it's probably a good time to talk about it because... I know all three of us have on our current projects benefited a lot from the critique that we've gotten from, from, you know, our, our fellow modelers that we've reached out to. Um, yeah. And I think we'll have some like more concrete examples that maybe he can lead with and then we'll, we'll follow up. Well, the, the, every time I do some, every time I do a, a figure painting project of any kind, it's always sort of fascinating to me how the feedback loop on that kind of kind of turns out. Um, fascinating and honestly a little bit a little bit frustrating because um, you know we I think we've talked a bit about the difference between objective and subjective feedback and the fact that 
anybody can spot a you know a construction problem right like it's either there or it's not it's not subjective at all um, if, if you've got a if you've got a ghost seam or a gap or whatever it's it's there right anybody can see that and it doesn't matter how good of a model maker you are you know you're totally totally right to to gap is a gap right gaps a gap mind the gap so uh, but with with subjective feedback it's more difficult and I made mention on the last on our, on our last episode about how I think it's important to understand who you're getting feedback from and that it becomes more important the more subjective the topic gets right um, because it's not so not necessarily a, about it being good or bad but about whether or not it aligns with your own style what you're trying to accomplish um, so like for example like on a if I were building a tank and I had I had three guys sitting in front of me I had Mike Rinaldi and I had Martin and I had Adam Wilder all giving me feedback. Those guys are all amazingly skilled. Nobody's going to argue that. But you also can't argue that they have three different styles. I mean, if you really look at their work, you can see clearly that they have different styles. And my personal style aligns more with Mike Rinaldi's. Like, that's what I want to do. He's who I want to be when I grow up. It's not that I don't like what Martin or Adam do. I just, it doesn't resonate as much for me, right? I'm going to take certain styles, right? I'm going to take certain cues from what they do and see how I can incorporate that into my own work on a, on a, like a technical level, Uh, you know, when, when, like when Martin talks about how he applies washes and 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 how he does his blending i'm like super paying attention because regardless of the colors that we use and the intensity of the colors the amount of contrast that we try to create the techniques are still valid across that spectrum right if that makes sense so now take that to the figure painting thing which i've been dealing with for the past few weeks and now it's just completely because there's I don't think there's anything more subjective than figure painting. And and so, you know, weeding through that that feedback can be challenging and sometimes really frustrating because, you know, if somebody just says, well, you know, the eyes are the wrong color. <laughs> well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? What's the right color? <laughs> Well, I mean, in that instance, right? You've got you've got an established role model in in armor modeling, and you've got two other people sitting there who you uh, whose opinions you regard extremely highly. So all that feedback coming at you is like there's there's a lot of validity at that table, right? Like just coming at you. Um, but with figure painting, like maybe you don't have those same people picked yet. You know, maybe right. Maybe you're not at the point where you're like, oh, this guy, this guy, like, yeah, I've been looking at lots of different work, and this guy is the guy who does things the way I like them. Um, and hopefully, you know, if you find that person, they're a good communicator, because that's another issue. You know, you've got somebody who's like, I don't know, I just do it. Or like, I told you the last time, I glaze, blah, blah, blah. Like, and the, the, the quality of the feedback that you get depends on the person as well. 
Yes, very much so. Mm. Absolutely. And I have a little bit of that. Like I'm kind of buddies with James Rice, who I'm hoping to have on as my guest next. Um, You know, James is a phenomenally talented human being. I mean, he's an amazing painter and a sculptor. I mean, it's really ridiculous. Chris always talks about the Breaky Fingers Club. Well, (laughs) James could be the president of it. Um, but, but I, you know, so I, as soon as I finished my eyeballs, I asked James privately, I was like, Hey man, how'd I do on my eyeballs? <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah, if it was me, I'd start over. <laughs> <laughs> Do you start over? Uh, I, no, I, I didn't, I, I, I did not. Um, and, and part of the reason was because I had, like I said, I had locked in each stage of the eyeball with with clear. And so to start over, I was going to basically paint over all that from, from the sclera on. But I, I you know, he, James is a, is a good communicator and we talked about it and, and, and he helped me understand where he felt like I could have done better. And so I did, I did work on it and make some tweaks. You know, by the end of the conversation, I felt comfortable with not having to go completely back to the beginning. Um, and, and and he was like, you did good work. You know, it just might have been easier. Like for me, it would have been easier to just go back to the beginning. Well, for me, it wasn't easier to go back to the beginning. It was you know, to get anyway. <clears throat> so that's why I didn't start over. And it wasn't I mean, and that was a gut punch. Right. Because I had I like spent the whole weekend working on the eyeballs and I was like, God damn, that's like straight to the feels, man. (laughs) But, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me, it wasn't about like ego, like, Oh, he doesn't like my work. That's bullshit. Now I'm upset. It's that's, that's not how it works for me. I'm, I'm a classic ENTJ. If you do the Myers Briggs thing, like I just want to do it right. Like that's how I'm wired. That's, that's what drives me. Like, I just want to master the skill. And it's not because I, I want praise necessarily from somebody like James. That's just sort of like validation that I figured out how to do it right, if that makes sense. Some people may think that's a distinction without a difference, but it, it's not just purely about the... about. Uh, I don't know how to explain it any better than that, but, but you find it with like a lot of, of, uh, like I found it a lot in the motocross community. Like you find a lot of like, like people who do, who do racing of any kind, like all they give a shit about is getting the lowest lap time. And it's not that they want the praise. It's that for themselves, that's how they find peace. If that makes sense. That's their goal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and from the outside, it might look like, oh, this dude is just an egomaniac. He's just driven by, you know, people validating his efforts. And that's for some for some look, there's we know there's dudes out there who are like that. I mean, we you know, we see it all the time in, in social media. But but for some of us, that's not that's actually not what it's about. It's almost like a form of O C D, if that makes sense. It's like yeah, it's, if I don't, it's a compulsion. Yeah, if, if I, it, right. It's like if I don't feel like I'm doing it correctly, the world is out of balance, which, which is not necessarily healthy because who's to say what's correct, so to speak, right? 
or true. Like if you're if things if you're not perfecting the thing you're working on in your hobby, no, the world is not out out of balance. It's just it's right. one element in your world that's not going correctly. And it's a challenge if you're if you've got the kind of fucked up wiring that I do to keep that in balance, right? To always constantly remind yourself, like, just because you're not getting this particular skill nailed does not mean you're a piece of shit human being, right? Does not mean your day is a total failure. Like, that's something that I battle all the time is a sense of failure. I don't, I, I do not deal with it well. And so I have to really pay attention. Like, if somebody says, yeah, bro, that looks like shit. Like, that's why I, the first thing I do is go, okay, who's telling me that it looks like shit? Like, do I really need to pay attention to that? Because if it's just some fucking random clown on the internet, I'm like, <laughs> okay, bro, whatever, right? But if one of you guys, like, tells me it looks like shit, I'm like, oh, I need to stop and see what I can do. What's going on? Why? And that's, and that's my next reaction is to try and understand why. Not because I want to push back. I mean, I may disagree and I may tell you I disagree. If it's a subjective thing, I have the right to do that. But for me, that as soon as you tell me that it looks like shit and I know that you know what looks like shit, I want to know how I can correct that because that's the way I'm wired. Okay, what's the action that I need to take to unfuck that shit? Well, first of all, it's it's if somebody's just telling you that looks like shit, then they're not giving you a good critique, right? No, they're not. Like that's right. not the but way. I, you, and I know that's not exactly that, yeah. what you. <laughs> right, I'm, simpli- I'm simplifying. I simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but that does get into the, the subject of of how to how to give a critique, how to like. You know, the best thing you can do is, first of all, we all have egos, right? Uh, we all like our egos stroked a little bit before, you know, you, you kick us in the balls, right? So, <laughs> you know, you, you want to say like, uh, I, you know, you pick out the things that are working and the things that you like. Be genuine about it, for sure. And then you can just be like, so what's not working? Because these other things are working so well. What's not working for me is this, this, and this. And for me, what I kind of want to see is I want this to be more this way and that to be more that way. And I might try, if it were me, I'd try this and this and this on this particular thing. And maybe I would try this and this on the other. You've you've complimented. You've pointed out what you don't like about it. You've said why it doesn't work for you. And you've offered some sort of a solution, even if it's your what you would do yourself to to begin to fix that problem if that problem is something the person you're giving a critique agrees with, you know, like that's, that's the best way to give a critique is like, not just, eh, I don't know. It doesn't work. Well, that doesn't help. Like what doesn't work about it? Be specific. And if it's not working, then what would you, what are some, some suggestions for how it could work better? What would you do if it's a technical issue? You know, what, what techniques would you use? Be as specific as possible. Offer up some sort of help. Otherwise, you're just kind of being a dick. Like, and, and that's the reason that I know. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much you guys go to the actual internet for feedback. I don't. Like, if I go to feedback from people that I know, like I, I never post something like 
in SMCG and be like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, eh, I don't even, I don't know those guys well enough. And like, also, uh, it'll kind of lead to a different subject. It's it's really irritating for me when people post something and they're like, hey, man, here's my latest piece. It's 95% done. Well, why the fuck are you posting it when it's 95% done? <laughs> post it when it's 75% done and post it when it's finished. Like, it doesn't look that much different. Like, I only have these three things to do and it's done. Well, then why don't you do those before you post it on the internet? Like, yeah, that's well, irritating to I me. Feel but seen. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I go to people whose opinion I trust, who, who people who I've already learned things from, people who I feel like have something to offer, uh, a different way of looking things, um, different solutions than I would normally try, and people who are who are honest enough to point out what's not working for them. But at the same time, you know, they respect your work. They're no, they're not just taking a shit on it. Like, so, you know, I guess that ties back into what Will was saying is like, be, you know, know who you're asking. Like I know who I ask for feedback and the people that I ask for feedback, they, you know, they like my work enough to, to, that I know that if they offer a criticism, it's not because they don't like my work. It's because, you know, there's something that needs to be fixed. They offer solutions and I can ask them anything, you know, even if they, if they're busy or whatever, I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm like, okay, well give it some thought and let me know what you think you would do to fix this or, or how I can make some improvements, you know, to get some genuine feedback. Chris, you're supposed to be leading the discussion. What are your thoughts on this? You said about how the subjective and objective, something I've started doing now, the first thing, when someone says about uh, post looking for feedback or whatever, or ask me, the first thing I say is, what are you trying to achieve? Because I can give someone advice on achieving whatever they're trying to achieve, but because quite often what they're having problem with is a subjective thing which might come, which I can't really talk about until i know what their taste is or or what their style is or what the style they're trying to do then i can't really say anything i mean like you say i can tell them if it's a wonky wheel but if they're like oh you know uh," if they say oh i think it's too dark i can say well this is what you can do to lighten it stuff like that but when they say what do you think i have to you know i'm not happy with it what do you think i have to come back first thing is well what are you trying to achieve and then after that you know and also, it gives you a little bit of a barometer of how sensitive they are to feedback. So <laughs> they say, well, I'll try to make it really cool. And you go, yeah, it looks cool. That's it. <laughs> That's the end of it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might try putting a dog over there, you know. But other than that, it's like, but until you know what they're trying to achieve, you can't really give feedback, you know. Yeah, it's it's a complicated dance, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it really is, it really is a a sort, I mean, and I see this over and over in SMCG. I see it enacted on a, on a pretty much daily basis. And that's one thing that I really love about the, about the gang and the group is that we've kind of built this culture where for the most part, people understand that feedback is a conversation, right? It's, it's not just a drive-by thing. Okay. I mean, you know, Okay, you might drive by and say, hey, if it's very specific, you can get away with that, right? Like, hey, just so you know, 
the the inside of those gear doors was never painted as far as I know. And I always like to put the as far as I know on there because, you know, with historical subjects, there's always a chance that somebody's going to whip out a photo and you're going to lose that bet, right? But but when it's sub, when it's truly subjective, it really does have to be a, a conversation because that's where, like, if you haven't provided that sort of feed forward about what you're trying to accomplish, the person who's trying to give you the feedback, like you said, they can't really do that effectively. So you have that conversation. You treat it as a as a discussion. And I think that's where 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 not only you as the maker learn the most, but the people who are observing the conversation also stand to to learn from that. And I think that's an important point to always remember that you and the guy you're talking to are not the only people involved in the conversation. That's a good point, actually. It's a, it's a good metaphor. Um, you know, it is a conversation. You get the most out of a conversation where, where there's back and forth, you know, I want feedback on this. Okay. Here's feedback on this. Okay. Well, that's good feedback. How do I enact it? And let it, you know, it, you, I think you're right. I think the, the more conversational uh, and the more back and forth there is in a super civilized, really clearly communicated way, the more you're going to get out of it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I used to do kendo. And I was a lot fitter back then because it's very, uh, it's very, um, you know, active. But yeah, that's, thank you, that's the word. But there was the guy that ran the club, the sensei. And then there was the senpai who was a guy who'd been doing it for years uh, from another town and would come down to practice with us. He was really good as well, really good. And he would ask questions when the sensei was explaining something or talking to someone about their technique or stuff. And after a while, I thought, he knows this, he knows this stuff. So I said to him, we were having a drink after the, the practice one week. And I said, you already know this stuff, but you're asking about it, aren't you? I said, is it just so you can draw the information out because it's for everyone else? And he said, yeah, that's exactly why I do it. And it's the same with critique. You can offer a critique or ask for critique. And what you've got to remember is it isn't just a conversation between you two. There's lots of people listening. You know, it's a it's a public teaching moment. It's not a personal spat between two people or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. so you can ask. Sometimes I might ask for feedback and... and I want other people to be able to benefit from the feedback as well. And other people do. I learn a lot from reading interactions between other people. And also I have a pet fucking peeve, right? A burr under my saddle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these, you know, these groups that say, uh, no criticism unless it's asked for. Fuck that. Let's make the default position criticism unless they say they don't want it. Because this default yeah. position is absolute fucking bullshit. Most people, if you give them decent criticism, they're not going to have a problem with it. There's very few people out there who are so thin-skinned. And they turn around and they go, oh, but the rivet count has come and shit on my model. The times I've seen people actually shit on a model, say literally, that shit, or that looks like a toy or whatever, I could count on one hand in like 10 years on the modelling internet, and there's a lot of fucking Wild West on the modelling internet. It doesn't happen that often. So quit being and so fucking nappy. It, it happens from the same people a lot too. Yeah, yeah and, and you, you soon learn their that... dicks. And you... The great thing about Facebook, as opposed to forums, you can block assholes. 
Yeah. Just block them. Yeah, and you can you, you, these and these people get a reputation. I mean, like Ben Schumacher was. We were having a good laugh. Were you going to say about... he had a reputation? <laughs> no, no, was not great? Ben. He's an no, Ben's, no, not at all. Ben's Ben's awesome, Sorry, ben. but 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 you know he's 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 uh, been working um, on uh, I forget what it was. Anyway, he's got there's this one guy who just all just like or maybe it was John Chung. I can't remember which, but but there's just this one guy who lives to just point out problems with kit flaws. Well, those those flaps are not correct, or the, you know whatever it was, and that's all he would say. It was this drive-by thing, right? And it was just fucking useless. And the dude was just—I mean, he just had no social skills. And so you know you can see that coming a mile away. And so I would encourage people who experience that to understand it for what it is, you know. And that's not rivet counting. That's just being an asshole. It's different, and you know just just treat it with humor if nothing else you know have fun you know poke back yeah if that's all that person has to offer the conversation like literally if that's all they have then well, all they've done is open the fucking door to to people 100%. making fun of them yeah but the problem here is there is also people that can't tell the difference between those flaps are wrong and those flaps are wrong because this this and this and here's how you can fix it because the former yeah. is being an asshole and the second is offering information and they're not and the that's, same thing. And that, yeah, there's plenty of delicate flowers out there. We know that. And that's on them. You know, just because somebody says that something on your, on your project is, is not correct or could be done better. That doesn't mean they're attacking you. They're not making a personal attack. Uh, you know, so it is, it's this complicated dance where the quality of the feedback matters the person who's giving it matters. The way that you receive it matters. The questions that you ask matter. It's 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 not a one way thing from either side, and that's what I hope people get out of this this discussion, because um, I think that it you know it not not only does it make our communities healthier um, and makes us you know better model makers, but honestly, I think it makes us better people, pet grown ups. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but, but whatever. I, and, and I just want to encourage people not to ever be afraid to engage the discussion. Um, you know, because like, like well, here's one of my pet peeves. Okay, Chris got his out there. One of my pet peeves, and you see this a lot. And this isn't necessarily through bad intent. And, and it and it it gets it gets close to the line with what we're talking about is just being poor social skills and dudes just being assholes is delivering your opinion as a statement of fact on somebody's work, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if somebody just says, well, that's too dark, or it needs more dense, I've said this over and over again, that's not feedback, that's a statement of preference. Mm-hmm. And if you're the person who's making that statement of preference, now the question is, why do I give a fuck what your preference is? Because we're not talking about what you did, we're talking about what I did, right? So if if you think that it's too dark or it needs more dense, as the person who's giving the feedback, you owe the receiver more of an explanation. Like, okay, I feel like this is too dark because you've limited your contrast and now the detail that you're trying to emphasize doesn't stand out enough for my eyes. 
if you're trying to tell the story of this particular thing, I feel like you're not doing it as effectively as you could if you adjusted your contrast range. Like, right, that's, and I get it, that's a detailed explanation, but that's what the person who's on the receiving end and the other people who are reading that conversation deserves. Well, all the feedback that we're talking about that, that we seek and that we receive, we benefit from. And that's the point for us and for a lot of other people out there is, you know, there are people like we talked about earlier who they want to build a model the way they've always built the model and they want to finish that model the way they've always finished the model and move on to the next model. Hey, that that's awesome. That, that's, that's a different style of modeling than what we're maybe talking about here with us. But I know all of us want to get better. We want progression out of what we're doing. And we've, we've established a way to do that that is, you know, maybe helpful to other people in that we have guests on and we ask guests questions that we want answers to. We want to pull things out of their brain and, and selfishly tell us how they're working their own magic, right? So the, the other thing to realize is if you're not, if you don't care about getting better, then feedback doesn't really matter, you know? You can, you can be happy with what you're building and throw it up on the internet and be like, man, I just finished this as my first model in 58 years, just got back to the hobby. And you can look at it and be like, that looks like a model built by somebody who has not built a model in 58 years. But that's not what they're asking for. They're not asking for you to be like, huh, well, you should have been building models for 10 years longer or whatever, dude. Yeah, yeah it's not your place to judge their <laughs> life choices, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> But I mean, for people who are asking for feedback, you you make the assumption that they're they want what they're working on to be better. They want to to push their skills, whether it's physical skills with the technique or storytelling or whatever, you know, the other esoteric bits of the hobby are. They're they're trying to get better, and a good honest feedback is a really really effective way to get better. It focuses, it, it tells you, you know. Uh, Theoretically, I guess it tells you what you should be focusing on to make what you've got right in front of you better than it is right now. That's that's one of the benefits that I see is. But I want to say one more thing on this topic because because we are hammering it, and I and I don't know that we can ever hammer it enough. But but again, going back to this point of understanding, yes, we've talked some about delivering feedback and how important it is to be, you know. To, to pay the respect to the other party of being detailed and not just, you know, doing these off-the-cuff drive-by things. But it is also important as the receiver that, and, and I think this is just the healthy thing to do, honestly, is, again, going back to understanding what you're getting, okay? Like, for example, okay, Tracy's had some problems with his shoulder. He's been seeing a chiropractor. I've had shoulder problems, but... Why the fuck should he believe what I say about what he should do uh, for his shoulder problems, right? And he knows that. I mean, I could have an opinion, but he knows that he's going to believe his chiropractor before he believes me. So the point is, when it when it comes down to understanding where the feedback is coming from, sometimes it's just as simple as knowing what the other party does, right? Like, I had to be careful in looking at the feedback I got on my figure because... 
and and I know that there's going to be some guys who are about to be butthurt right now. You know where you can send the hate mail. Let's be honest. Most of us as scale modelers are just doing figure painting because we have to. And we just want it to look cool, right? None of us, I mean, I certainly am not going to claim to be a figure painter per se. And most scale modelers and in an environment like SMCG where you're going to be getting feedback are not figure painters in the same sense that somebody like a James Rice is or a Margot Crumbeck is. So you have to, in your own mind, understand that and balance that and decide for yourself what you're going to do with that feedback and just understand that not all feedback is created equal. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if, 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 if somebody who I know has not done any figure painting tells me that something is not right with my figure, I'm not going to completely discount it because we all have experience seeing other people, right? We all kind of have an idea what eyeballs and, you know, skin and all those things look like. But there's a certain level beyond which that person probably can't really help me, right? And that's okay. They have good intent and that's okay. I'm not going to completely dismiss that. I'm going to respect their time. But at the same time, that's not going to carry as much weight for me as if somebody like James Rice says, yeah, dude, you need to just redo those eyeballs. Well, right. They don't have the experience to draw from. They're, they're trying yeah. to help you and that they want, they understand what you're trying to get, which is like, you, you want to zero in on this and you want to tighten up what you're working on. And they can kind of generally tell you like, okay, something feels off and, and it might be this and it might be that. Um, but they just don't have the experience to draw from to be any more specific than that. They they wish they could. They want to help. Um, but the other thing, and this is something we've talked about before, again, like if you reach out to, and you should, you should reach out to multiple people for criticism. You should reach out to different eyeballs. Um, and, you know, your, your, your close associates, your, the people you interact with regularly shouldn't be yes men. They shouldn't just be telling you, oh, that's fucking awesome. That's fucking awesome. Like if you do one little noodly thing each day and be like, ah, this is all I got done today and send it and they're like, oh, that's awesome. Cool. That's, that's an appropriate response to that. But if you're like something like, what do you think about where this is now? And if all the people that you, uh, you know, the small group of people that you reach out to for feedback, if they all come back with the same answer, even in kind of a general way, then yeah, it's, it's true. Like if it's, you know, like with my, my last attempt with this thing, like I had five different people come back and be like, eh, what, so what's the story? What's it trying to tell us? Like, I was like, okay, well, I've definitely dropped the ball there. If all five people come back and it's not clear what's going on. So if, you know, if you get a sort of a unanimous or, uh, you know, if you get a lot of people saying the same thing, yeah, that's probably true. Like you, you could you know, throw a tantrum and, and why don't you see it? Oh, it's right there. It's so obvious. You're not seeing Mm -hmm. it correctly. Yeah. You know what? If five (laughs) people can't fucking see it, five people you like and who are honest with you can't see it, then, uh, then you need to fix it. You don't even build models. (laughs) (laughs) Let's show, let's see some of your work. Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's a fair question. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's a fair question though. If it's a question. Yeah. Like I like I had like I had a guy you know giving me some feedback in or he actually I saw him giving some feedback to somebody else 
in SMCG. And his feedback was was pretty directive. And and so I, I and I and I I could read that and I was like, okay, I think this guy probably knows what he's talking about. But this is a very subjective thing he's talking about. And so I just tried to diplomatically suggest, hey dude, you're kind of new to the group. You should let everybody know what kind of work you do so we can see where you're coming from. Because again, you know, you've been pretty directive. And he was totally cool about it. He was like, okay, I, absolutely, I'll do that. And he posted some work a couple of days later, and sure enough, his work was good. So now, you know, people can factor that in when he when he when he says something. So I guess my just to sort of seal it all up, don't treat all feedback the same, regardless of which side of it you're on, because that would be dumb. Why would you? And do seek feedback. Yeah, seek feedback. Seek, yeah, yeah. But don't treat all of it the same is what I'm saying, because it's not all equal. I guess not. I mean, but again, like you might go to SMCG and post something for the masses, whereas I go directly to people who who I want their opinion. You already know that the yeah. feedback is going to be worth having, yeah. So I, I don't... I can skip that step that you're talking about because mm. I, I know their work, you know? Right. And when you get more granular and it's coming from one guy or one particular set of model makers, then yeah, maybe you do treat it all as equal. I, I, that's not what I'm saying. It just it, it, think about it. I guess maybe that's the most important thing is, is you, you know, as the receiver, don't just take it at face value. Think about it. Maybe that's, I don't know. All right, we're going to have to wrap that up there because uh, we've been going a long time. So next up is our <laughs> interview with Jean. Jean's a phenomenal uh, diorama maker, model maker. I've known his work probably about 10 years back on Armorama, back in the old days, um, when he also used to post as Nicholas Cabaret, and he did uh, some really interesting stuff like Rolling Thunder, which we're going to talk about in the interview. So... Enjoy the interview. Uh, we'll be back after to uh, talk a little more. Scale Models HQ is not your average online model supplier. When they started, they looked at a market full of plastic slingers selling the same old kits and knew that they wanted to bring something fresh to the table. They do sell kits, of course, but alongside your favourites like Tamiya, Hobby Boss, Bronco and Mini Arts, they sell a huge range of unique and superb tools from brands that are hard to get here, like Liang, Daisho Kushu and Alexin. They also sell really good diorama materials like flowers and laser cut wooden buildings. If like the three of us sprue cutters you like to tell a story, you have to see what these guys have to help you set the scene. Head to Scale Models HQ right now, but don't blame me for what happens to your wallet. Also you can get a 10% discount on your order from Scale Models HQ by quoting the discount code SCU10 at checkout. That's SCU10 at scalemodelshq.com. And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modeling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. John, welcome to the Sprue Cutters Union. Thank you very much. Uh, we've been wanting to get you on for a long time because your work is, I have to say, pretty unique at the, you know, in the the modelling world, and I think it's something that those of our listeners who aren't familiar with really are missing out. How would you describe your work? It's not, you know, not basic modelling. How would you describe it? 
<laughs> well, um, that's a good question. Thank you very much. Uh, this is really the thing I do. You know, uh, I, 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 it's very hard to say. Um, I don't know. I, I feel quite close to to you when you you know you, you put on your post with all your Churchill tanks and something because I really am an history buff and I also like you know mechanical uh, precision and things like that you know. But whatever whatever I, I do like about you know classic modeling about um, bidding or whatever, I have to take it and put it elsewhere so that it can have a meaning for me me personally. You know, uh, I think that um, what really changed uh, my life about modeling is that I was uh, painting, you know, Games Workshop figures, stuff like that. And I was building regular models. But once I read uh, Francis Ford Coppola uh, did Apocalypse Now, and everyone thought it was about the Vietnam War. Well, it was, in fact, about the fact he got problems with his wife. <laughs> I thought it was genius. <laughs> 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 And it, it really changed my life, my, my way of considering modeling. So now I'm doing Jorahs because I've got problems with my wife or whatever, you know. So I, I've been considering of it. I, I try to, 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 to blend all my passion for history or, uh, you know, uh, people, settings, um, uh, mechanical things into my work. But it got to have a meaning, an inner meaning, you know. This is, this is really what, what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do. And I'm really lucky because people seem to 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 sort of enjoy it. So uh, I'm a, I'm a winner. In the, in well, the I sense. think it provokes an emotional response that's almost outside of modeling. You know, that it's there's sort of a a human response to your work that I don't get when I'm looking at Panther tanks and you know Shermans and things. There's something else going on, and mm -hmm. it's almost uh, it's almost mysterious. And that you have to, you know, the longer you look, the more you, you try to work out, you know, it engages your brain uh, in a different way than just regular military scale modeling. And I feel like it also uh, sort of blurs the line between scale modeling and art. And I feel like there's, there are artistic influences outside of modeling that you bring into your work. Am I imagining that? No, of course. Of course not. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, my mom always uh, dragged me at all the museums she could. <laughs> I met the British Museum, actually, in London when I was really small. Uh, I, I went to the, to the Tate Gallery and things like that with my mom. I did everything museum-wise. So, of course, it, it was uh, a big influence right from the start. And uh, after that, I, I, I went really into cinema and things like that. So, it's sort of, um, you know... It fed me with a lot of different kind of images. And now, quite naturally, or I am more than 50 years old now, it all gets proved into what I'm doing. So, yeah, you're right. When we say art, a lot of people in modelling say it's an art or like to use the word art. For me, though, your work is more like art with a big A, like fine art. That uh, Will said it well the other day when we were talking about your work. He said it's like... Um, a painting made into 3D. So there's kind of motifs and allegories in it like you would see in fine art painting rather than uh, what we would expect to see in modelling. And it's a bit more fantastical as well. You know, it's all very unconscious. It's, mm. You know, it's not... 
it's not it's not part of uh, I don't play any game about that. For instance, right now I'm just finishing a, a diorama which will be in a, in a stairs somewhere in Kiev, you know, uh, because I, I'm sort of concerned with what uh, what happens up there. And my next one will probably be uh, something completely different with a locomotive, with an old uh, train, you know, somewhere which, has, if, you know, it's very impulsive. It's it's just impulses, and that's it really. And uh, I, I'm doing mostly short projects this day because my mind is shifting very fast. So uh, I, I rarely spend more than one month on, on the same subject. Really. It's very fast. I was going to say you're very yeah. prolific. Yeah. How many a year do you think you make? Uh, the more I'm bored in life, <laughs> the more I'm doing different projects. So I was really phenomenally bored. Between September and December, and I must have done about six or seven different diorama, which is crazy. Actually, whenever I can cram half an hour of freedom, I'm doing dioramas. It's beginning to be completely crazy. And besides that, I've got uh, three kids, a wife, and a full-time job. <laughs> Still, I manage. <laughs> now, actually, I've got a trick, is that I always work in on three different projects at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you, you're doing stuff with resin, you know, uh, epoxy resin to do some water, the drying times are really long, and you mustn't mess with those. So that means that you've got to have another project on so that you can shift one project to another. So you pour your resin, you paint a figure, you do, and at the end of the day, you end up being very productive. Yeah. No, so, 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 that's my... Because uh... you're more efficient with your time, that what time you've got, yeah. you're always using it on something, not waiting for something. Exactly. And then I don't have any TV at home, you know? <laughs> so it also helps <laughs> to stay uh, focused. That helps. <laughs> Uh, let's have a look at some work. I've what I've done. I've got um, a load of your stuff up, probably going back as far as I can remember, back in the old days when you were posting on. I don't know if you still do because I don't go there anymore. But when you were posting on Armorama, no, I don't do that anymore. We're not. Go- I'm not going back to um, the earliest I can remember. But there's one here that uh, was quite controversial at the time, and so I think a lot of people will remember it. Let me just see if I can share the screen. Ah, oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, this one, can you describe it? Oh yeah, basically. Uh, don't know why I'm doing that. I think it was just to. It was really mischief, you know. Mm. I think at that time I didn't have any 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 much idea about what I was really actually doing, and I thought that I would. Perhaps a bit uh, steer the crap pot, you see. It was really funny to do that because <laughs> I I could do it really. I could do it because uh, actually it's, it's all scratch build. This is a homemade photo edge. I spend an awful amount of time doing this, and uh, at the end of the day, um, I don't regret having done this. But I would never ever doing it again. Of course, this is audio, so I'll just give a, a brief description, uh, although all the photos will be in the album on the Facebook page when the show goes up. So it's the nose of an American fighter jet uh, crashed in a, I'm guessing a paddy field in Vietnam with the pilot um, dead lying over the nose. Is that right? Yeah, it's that. Actually, uh, now I can remember. I did it out of sheer provocation hmm. because, you know... Uh, uh, I just don't really lie because I don't think it is, uh, you know, when you see a diorama that is about, I don't know, uh, 
invasion of France or no uh, Normandy or something, which looks like a sort of walk in the park, you know, yeah, with like no rubble in the streets. Yeah. No, to just like, you know, those old Verdun and dioramas yeah. all like that. You know, it's, uh, I don't, I think it's disrespect, disrespectful for the people who actually fought anything or something, you know. That, there's no, nothing in the dioramas I can see that say, you can die in there, just at the corner of the road. You know, all the, all the, uh, the, 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 the really monstrous thing about war is often completely bypassed by the people who are doing dioramas. And this is just something that I just don't like about the diorama world in general. Uh, there are also <coughs> other things, but this thing I just really don't like. But then there was really something, uh, really funny about that special piece. Of course, I got insulted, but only on French forums, not on American or, or British ones, which was really fun. I, I, I was expecting that anyway. But I got contacted uh, by a British librarian who, who fell on the same picture because actually this drama was made out of uh, a, a propaganda picture from North Vietnam. And the guy traced the name of the guy, the date, uh, the all, all, the, all the right numbers... Exactly the story of what happened. I've got a term about 30 pages about this case because the guy investigated the case for about three or four years and he just gave me everything. I was really very happy because the guy fell on the same picture as I did and was shocked the same way I did and he just reacted in another way. Me, I did a Joanna uh, and he made, made, made some research. And there's one big difference between uh, the original picture and the way I did is the, the guy is dead, okay, but he's looking at the sky because for me, uh, a pilot, if he happens to die on service or something, must die watching the sky, not looking on the ground. It's not, uh, it doesn't fit. So, okay, that, that's, um, now I can remember that's exactly why I did it, but it was indeed at first a sort of provocation or at least a reaction against some things I didn't like in the German world as a whole. I remember it, it did get a reaction in, in the uh, English-speaking world as well. A lot of people definitely were very upset saying that it was disrespectful and that um, this isn't, you know, that this isn't, shouldn't be seen in, um, shouldn't be seen in modeling because it's dead bodies and stuff. But like you say, people say they're honoring history with models, yet they build models of people <laughs> that, that look like they're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't buy that. Uh, if, if you want to honor the dead, you, you buy a bunch of flowers and you got at the nearest military cemetery. You don't do dioramas. I'm sorry. It's just, a, a, I think it's disrespect, disrespectful in a way, you know? I, I just don't, don't get into this kind of schemes, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't illustrate the cost of war. Yes, definitely. War is all about costs. It adds to the glorification of war in a way. Yeah, I, I'm not into that. I, I'm, fine. It's, it's really not something that uh, I, I appreciate. War both fascinates me and repels me. But I, I guess that we are, we are a lot like that. I mean, Chris, you're doing a church in tongues. <laughs> that, that's a fascination with the engine, but you also know what they are able to do. <laughs> you know, this, this, this is just this mixed feeling. And this mixed feeling is also in that drama, if you like. Now, you mentioned as well that you did your own photo etch on it. So how long have you been doing your own photo etch? Because it features in a lot of your uh, projects. Uh, I must have begun... Actually, I always... Uh, sorry, Chris. 
uh, you know, scratch building, you know, it's uh, every time <laughs> I try to, to, I cut my fingers and all, I'm not gifted as you are when it comes to scratch building. So every way I can use to make the work easier, I will take. And a shortcut is mine. So for me, actually, uh, Photo Edge was a shortcut. So about 15 years, but I stopped about five or six years ago because the chemicals are dangerous, mm. are polluting, and uh, I got bored with, with it, really. We were saying earlier, actually, that the chemicals must be pretty noxious. Yeah, they are. It's not very agreeable job, you know. So now I stopped. I'm doing 3D now. <laughs> yeah, Will will be gutted he missed this. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, unfortunately, Will couldn't be with us today. So how long have you been doing 3D? Is it part of your job as well, or is it just something you do at home? Or No, actually, I, I used to be a teacher in computer graphics for quite a number of years. So I, I know how to, not 3D, but just... Uh, I know how to use the software. And then two years ago, uh, in France, you got the confinement. Everybody was about to stay at home for quite a number of time. I guess it, I, I'm sure it was also the case in, in, in Britain, actually. Um, and I was uh, put on partial leave on my work because I work in tourism. And there was not much tourism in France at that time. And uh, I got about four hours uh a day free so i say okay i will learn 3d and i learn 3d and now i begin to be uh quite efficient with it yeah and i uh, invested in a small 3d printing machine now i got a bigger one and uh i really enjoy it but nothing beats of course the fact to, to, to stay you know in your at your workbench is different it's really computer it's it's less satisfying <laughs> good job will isn't here <laughs> I'm sure you agree. Will would have been like, yay! Oh. <laughs> now, it, it is real modeling to the 3D modeling. I, I swear to mm. you it is, but it's different. You know, you don't touch the, the, the thing. And of course, you don't get cut if you, if you do 3D modeling, but, uh, now it's not the same thing. I like both really. So let's, uh, let's have a look at another one. Now, uh, this one actually probably predates the one. With, what's the, the title, by the way, of the one with the crashed aircraft? Does it have a title? Uh, Running Thunder. Ah, that's right. Yeah. Now, this one, uh, I seem to remember you telling me, was based on um, the famous French ship. We, we share a love of fin de siècle, French warships and, and that whole period. Yeah. Uh, and I think this one was based on Massena. There we go. Can you see? Oh, that? there we go. Now this one's going way back. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> way back. It's really funny because cause it took me five years to complete. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So indeed, you 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 know about uh, this really something funny because I'm not doing some French warship because they are French. I absolutely don't care mm. about that. But I'm <laughs> doing a French warship because they look better. You know, in the Tsushima battle, basically you got the Japanese. We got we got a. Uh, uh, British uh, design ships, and you got Russia. We got French design ships. Yes. Uh, guess who won? <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Russian that won. But in, at the end of the day, I, I think that the, the French-based warships were looking so much better. They were inefficient. They were terrible. You've got on YouTube so images of the Massina riding the waves. Mm doesn't really ride that well. <laughs> it just sink. Just some special. Just terrible. They were terrible ships, but, but they look great. great. Yeah, and they look great. 
So, uh, so yeah, this is a, so this is all photo etch, you know. Wow. And then I got bored. <laughs> I did five years in a, in a, in a cupboard somewhere. And then a friend told me, okay, you know, you should, you should do something about it. So I did that. This is 135th, yeah? Yes, definitely. It's quite big. I was going to say, it must be, what, 60 centimetres long, something like that? Yeah, that, that, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Huge. I'm not doing those anymore. They're too big. <laughs> don't, don't have any place in yeah. them to store them anyway. <laughs> so you did a series uh, based around Tsushima. Well, not maybe historically, but inspired by, yeah. is that fair to say? Definitely. Yeah. And it's not stopped because I, I did the one last year. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's an ongoing series on the Tsushima battle. Actually, this is just the... The setting that interests me, you know, um, when you're in, uh, in Asia, in far, far east, uh, you've got great looking ships. I build, my taste is that, uh, uh, the ships built this time were the best looking ships ever. So I tend to, oh, you may not agree. But, I agree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're the only people in the world uh, who do, mind you, but you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, that's it. I, I really like it, and it's it's quite uh, <laughs> definitely this one too. Uh, this one is also a Tsushima battle or something because actually this is. Uh, I think that one was lost uh, near uh, near Poatu. Mm. No, it was it was sunk on a mine or something. Uh, it's not even historic, historically inaccurate because the uh, the discipline. Of uh, the Russian officers at the time was not really that uh, great, and they often, apparently, they often uh, uh, get uh, their women of company, wife or whatever, with them on the ships. From uh-huh. what I read, so not even inaccurate. So this is a, s- but this is not really the meaning of, of this diorama. This is a, a sinking uh, Russian destroyer, yeah. uh, French-built by the mm-hmm. look of it, destroyer. Uh, so what was the meaning of this diorama? Oh, simply because uh, uh, I, I got to know a, a Russian woman who, who raises alone uh, three kids, uh, and she's alone, and she cope up with really, really well, and she's extremely well educated. She's beautiful too, and she got all kind of qualities or something, and she seems to be completely unreachable. You know, mm. it's, she's. Um, She's sort of a concept more than a person from what I can see because I only wrote her. And I, I got actually that idea because of, of, uh, of writing to, to, to that woman. <laughs> this is funny, but this is the case. And you know, she's there. She's proud. The ship is sinking, but she's unflinching. Mm. And the two guys, uh, who prepare to leave the boat, uh, they just can't reach her. They're just too low for her. You know, they just look like rats all in black, you know, in a corner. But she just stands at the middle. Uh, this is actually typically the kind of thing I'm doing in Joama. But if you see it, you can see just, ah, uh, oh, the wave is really looking good in truth, you know? It's yeah, so. Good looking Joama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brave. Yeah, she's, uh, she stood yeah, with her back, isn't she, to the two sailors trying to call her to the boat to, to get off this. And when she we say care. it's sinking, it, it, the only thing above the water is the bridge and the, the, uh, searchlight platform and a bit of the mast. So, yes. yeah, it's sunk. Yes, with a nice, uh, lightning effect, you know, uh, inspired, you know, by those Russian painters like Avazovsky, you know, just a sort of green light, uh, if, if you look at the diorama, the other side is quite dark, mm. really. I think I might have a picture of that. I like to do these kind of things. You know. 
you know, they, they've got some diorama makers who've got all kind of concepts, you know, like uh, elevated diorama, stuff like that. Why, well, yeah, if they like, uh, for me, uh, a diorama is just an object. You, you can turn around it and you must be satisfied uh, about it. Uh, whatever the, the, the angle, you, you will have to look at it. So you have to take a lot of care of that. The sea of yeah. water features a lot in your work. Why is that? What's, what's yes. the theme there? Because I come from the Western France, because uh, I always uh, went with my parents very often on the seaside. That now I'm living in Lyon, which is very, very, very far from the water. I really miss it a lot. I miss uh, getting rain four times a day and sun four times a day. You know, just like you got in Britain. I got that also in the Western France. You know. And here it's just, uh, just desperately a beautiful dry weather all the time. But I miss my rain. I mean, <laughs> that's it. My wind, my rain, and my sea. You've made step by steps about how to do the water, and they featured in books and what have you. But briefly, for people listening, what's your method for for making waves and water? Uh, it evolved. Uh, it evolved. Sorry, a lot throughout the years. But basically, now I'm taking some modeling paste. You know, modeling paste for kids or whatever, and I'm building. You know, uh, the water shapes. And then after I, um, I put some silicone rubber over it, you know, just mm. to get uh, the, 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 those shapes in a, in a form. And then I pour some, uh, acrylic resin in it, some two components, epoxy resin in it. And you know, just by, um, by shifting the sides here and there between the coats, you may have almost all the, all the effects you want. And after you've got the form, uh, the resin out of the form, it's usually an imperfect shape. I'd uh, rub a bit over it, and then after, I'm usually, you know, uh, brushing coat after coat of resin, uh, acrylic gel for all the little details, just like a little bit of foam or something, and then overcoat of resin. It's just a work of layering. Hmm. But it can be very, very time consuming. This is why I'm always, like I told already, um, working on several projects at the same time. Do you tint the resin? Because it's got Lots of colors yeah, passing through it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Oil paints. I'm using oil paints. Oh, okay. I didn't know that played well yeah. with resin, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. They, they work really well. You you can use also, you know, some uh, uh, glass paints work really well. Mm. But, you know, <laughs> a lot of people, when they are doing water resin, they, they sort of mix the concept with, you know, uh, the jewelry for, for, for women, you know, the very transparent things, uh, earrings or something, you know. They've got this... Uh, uh, terrible transparent green use and I'm not after that you know I'm not about transparency I'm about translucency because the sea is translucent you know you can you can see at uh, one meter if the sea is particularly uh, 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 pure but usually you can see at 20 centimeters no more and I'm not uh, really uh, about doing some really transparent uh, don't see the interest into that. I'm into realism, really, <laughs> despite the appearances. <laughs> so you're mixing the oil paint with the epoxy resin. Yeah, absolutely. But you're not you're not applying it on top of the. No, uh, I can tint it too. No, no, definitely not. Uh, it works really well. You know, you've got two kind of uh, trans of uh, of uh, oil paint. You've got the transparent ones and the opaque ones. You've got to use the transparent ones. For instance, you know, uh, if you apply a, a transparent blue 
it will be really see through just exactly if you just like if you were using some um, so some glass paint but some like the white white color can't be really transparent you know so if you begin to mix a little bit of white with the blue which you have to do anyway uh, it will be transparent for about five or six millimeter and after that you know it will gradually get more opaque you know it you've got to do that but the basis is to work with transparent oil paints or with glass paints which also works uh actually i know it doesn't work with enamels because i tried it but i never tried with like a tamiya you know the tamiya transparency mm -hmm. uh, as far as i know they might work really well i don't know never taste Depend whether they mix, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And when you say modeling paste, you mean like modeling clay, like you give kids? Uh, yes, you know, the Play Doh. Oh, right. <laughs> that. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking like dust clay or something, but wow, really? Play Doh? See, you know, the one that you can reuse. Yeah. Something. You don't have to, 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 do, uh, to use any uh, self hardened stuff or whatever. Just a regular modeling paste is okay. So, this is the stern of a German destroyer, I think? Exactly. Uh, yes, I, I use this one because you know this is the mine layer, mm. and uh, uh, f first off, I didn't do any other part because I lacked in reference, and I always try to be the most uh, precise uh, possible. But then it's it's really easier to 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 to, to get over some detail in uh, if if you are modeling a thirty centimeter long ship than if you are doing the same. In 145. Yeah. You know, here I didn't have. Uh, actually, there's really something which is uh, uh, bizarre when you're modeling German ships is that most of the archives, anyway, burnt in World War II. Mm. So there's nothing left. So you can. It's, it's really more tricky if you want to model some uh, British or Russian ship because they kept everything. But the German just went to ashes. So I, I was lucky enough to still have some good quality plans about that special part of that ship and also some great pictures because um, the actual ship didn't sink. It was captured by the Americans. The Americans always do the things great and they took pictures of about everything. So I, I, I fell on one website that, that disappeared since, uh, sadly, which had about perhaps four or five different pictures about that uh, a uh, special uh, uh, end of the ship, uh, backside, uh, <laughs> the stern. Sorry. I don't know the word. So I could do something that is genuinely accurate. And uh, that's the reason why I also didn't use uh, the, the front of the ship with the gun that don't have any reference for, for the 70 millimeters or whatever gun that was at the front. So I don't have, I said, if I don't have any reference, I just can't model, basically. So here yeah, I got everything, so I could do it. And uh, what can I say more? Yeah, don't you think it looks like a spaceship? It's really yeah. weird the way it, uh, way it rounds. You, you got a bit of time just to realize that it is a mine layer. Mm -hmm. Actually, you won't think it's anything. At first glance, I thought it was. I thought it might have been a part of a seaplane or something. Yes, it could also do. Right. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that I love about your work and it's repeated over and over again, is that you pick one strong color and it, it, yes. you use it yeah. to guide the eye, use it to inform the viewer what they should be looking at and and you push the eye yeah. with it. 
in some cases, these are, you know, very natural colors, but in some cases, I feel like you, some of your pieces are created to experiment with a color palette and to, to add that color in, in a way that almost doesn't make sense, but you always make it work. You know, there, there, sometimes there's purples and yellows and you're like, wow, that's, that's incredible color palette in the midst of a lot of other muted colors. But if you look at it, those colors are always there to like push the eye towards what you want. And it usually, they usually harmonize with something else in the, in the diorama, whether, you know, like the. Yes. Uh, the colors exist. So I better use them anyway. So it was uh, this one. Uh, uh... I wanted to find pretext to use purple in the Jumba one day. So I'm not like some people that will paint a shaman tank uh, purple and thinking it's clever. It's not really my thing. So, so no, I saw that really. No, uh, actually, this one was a good pretext because I actually fell on a picture that was almost like that. So the dancing in Lithuania where everything was painted pink, you know. And I just did that basically. I, I've, I, I've put an electric box and something. I put pink. Actually, it, it really looks a lot like the picture I took as a reference. But indeed, you know, uh, uh, this is something I, I explained somewhere already, but, um, whenever I'm, I'm going to a, a drama or modeling fair, you put yourself at three meters from, from the, from the tables where the, the, the pieces are. What you see is a sea of brown, a sea of gray. I'm sorry, even if, if I've got my good glasses on, I just can't. No, so, uh, so there's a sci-fi stand just, just beside. So I will go and have a look at the sci-fi stand first because the colors are appealing. So <laughs> that's also one of my, uh, uh, things when I'm doing Jurama. I try it to be, uh, uh, we have some nice colors. I did a Jurama for the book, which is in a, Panchia Valley in Afghanistan. I didn't have to invent it. The, 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 the water of the Panchia Valley is definitely turquoise. Mm. So I used turquoise in it and I think the Jorama is good. So here it's, it's the same. I should explain, sorry for, for listeners. This is, um, it's in a nightclub, is it? Something like that? Yes, yeah, it's a nightclub. And it's uh, a girl sat in a round sort of Art Deco style window with a curtain pulled back from it and a yellow lamp casting sort of a yellowish light onto this pink purple pinky purple background it's it's using complementary colors like we've already talked about yeah. yeah definitely definitely i try to use well things that will go well with one one with another mm. yes because uh you know uh I've got all those colors home and I've got to use them somehow. So, uh, <laughs> this is the tubes of paint that people, when they buy the set, they ignore when they're modelers. <laughs> they go straight for the browns like and the that. greens. <laughs> but, for instance, for instance, you know, uh, ICM, they just uh, put out, uh, they put out uh, about two years ago, uh, you know, the uh, fire track, you know, the Zeal yeah. 131. I know. Uh, I just realized it was red. I could have a great, great lot of fun with that red thing. You know, it's, it's, it's really splendid. It's splendid design. I like Soviet design, so I like that one. And uh, it's red, but I see, okay, you can put it near a uh, uh, blue water, near a uh, bright green grass. I'm going to buy the model and doing something about it. It's a uh, it's, uh, compulsory. I've got to do that. 
Well, this brings up uh, this piece actually brings up something that I wanted to ask about is the fact that you you make all of your own figures. Like you, yes, definitely. You are absolutely not afraid to get in there and convert and scratch build something to fit exactly what you want. And you've been doing it for quite a long yes. time. Could you talk about how you um, kind of how you go about building a figure for your diorama? It comes back from when I was a kid. I never built a plastic model till I was about 22, 23. Because I was building my tanks in cardboard. The cardboard that I did myself, I got the plants, you know, four view plants. And I took my cutter, my scissors and something, and glue, and I did my tanks. My first diorama ever, Chris, is a Churchill tank. I swear <laughs> it's true. And it was a Churchill wow. made out of cardboard. They are very cool. Yeah, no, 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 you think so. And, uh, I always built my own stuff because I always thought that the stuff that you could buy in shops was not exactly what I see. When I, whenever I got a plastic, uh, tank in, I look at a model or something, I always find that the, 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 the angles are not, you know, edgy enough. You know, if you compare an angle of a, of a toolbox of a tank, uh, taken from a PE set, photo edge set, with the one in plastic. The one in plastic is never crisp enough for me. At least it was. Now there are some brands that are doing some wonders. But for me, it was always, you know, soft. I don't like uh, uh, the models being soft. So this is why when I took back modeling in about 2005, uh, I, I went directly with... Uh, you know, with uh, homemade PE, with plastic, with scratch building or something, because I didn't like the softness of the commercial kits. Might be a bit stupid, but it's the way I, I thought. The same thing with, with figures, which I never thought were were good enough, really, or suitable to my own needs. Well, they haven't been for a long time. You know, they were always very mm-hmm. stiff, and and every yeah. every person could build the same figure, and it would look exactly the same. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at photos of, you know, anything during World War II, there's a scene full of figures and no, none of the figures look like what you get in a box. Yeah, they point, you know, they yeah. point. They always point. Or they, or they stand <laughs> up uh, in the turret with their arms like this. Uh, there's, yeah, the very, exactly. there's never a relaxed pose. There's, there's never a bored yeah. pose, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's, but your it's, work has... Yeah, very specific needs as well and i doubt you could ever find a figure that would fit the scene yeah look at that special diorama because it's a good example because how could i have uh, uh, put a a commercial figure in the pose she's in Mm. you see the 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 foot that is standing on the on the window ledge has to be bent you know the 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 natural pose you know she's holding a cigarette so the natural pose of her hand must be natural, you know? Same thing for the leg. To get her uh, uh, own uh, posture, I actually did the same. I put myself on on, on, a, on a ledge and I saw how I was resting. I took a picture and I and I did basically uh, the job after that, you know? We need to see the picture. This way I was sure that the position would be... No, because it's somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it has to look natural and it's also something. Uh, this is something with figures and genre makers, something. They don't integrate the people with the scenes. No. I mean, integrate, uh, you see, you've got some, some really genius figure painter. And when you look at what they're doing, you've got the guy standing 
and next uh, about two centimeters uh, uh, you've got another guy standing or something they never you know uh, uh, interact communicate with us interact yeah. it's the worst for session thank you they never interact we I want you know uh, the people must have their hands on each other they must hold the things they must you know uh, uh, be an incarnation of their of the of their surroundings they must be a part of it and you've got to to, to get into scratch building to get that it's impossible otherwise so this is also the reason why I've got some specific needs I'm not ready to uh, to to you know, to, to lower my own expectations. Yeah, I think that's sort of natural look is something that's, that misses, uh, most dioramas miss, really. And I think it's a bit of a blind spot a lot of modelers have uh, natural interaction between figures. Yeah, because they are too big. They're always modeled too big, I think. Mm. You know, if you model a piece that is about 60 centimetres long, about 40 you can't expect, you know, just to get your attention. Uh, actually, the, the, the most uh, well-known genre makers are guys that are able to stay focused on a single scene for about six months for it to be perfect. And it's very, very rare, actually. Most of the guys, they just cram tongues on something and they're just happy them to be on the on, on, on a single place, you know. They call that a diorama if they like. But it's not really. It's just base. Mm. A bit of, uh, you know, icky grass yeah. left on tufts and put a tongue on it. It's not a drama. One thing no one could say is that your your stuff doesn't have a story. There's always, although they're on the face of it, usually very simple scenes, there's always a lot going on. Is it something you spend a lot of time thinking about before you make them? Yeah, of course. This is why I don't... Uh, yeah, of course. Uh Sometimes the, the ideas I, I put into scene are about 10 years, 10 years old. I got an idea, but it lacks something that it might happen 10 years after. So it's, uh, it can be infinite or on the opposite, it can be very fast. I've got a good idea and I, two, two weeks later, the drama will be completed. This one's called The Womb and you know it's one of my favorites, yes. but actually Tracy has to talk about this one. So over to you, Tracy. Ah. Yeah. So for those that are in listener land and not in viewing land, we're we're looking at the ball turret of a uh, an American bomber uh, that's been part of a crash scene. Um, there is that uh, the anti uh, the, the fire extinguishing foam behind it. Is that what the white is? Yes. And then definitely uh, a you know a bit of really really well done blood coming out of the the ball turret and i I don't mean to say that it's well done in that it's cool or or any or or shocking or anything it just it looks like what blood should look like in this context it's dark it's been soaked up by the earth um and it tells a, a really poignant story at first glance sort of of the dangers of that position and how things can end up and it did end up for a lot of people. So again, we're talking about the cost of war. This is, I think I like this piece because it shows the cost of war, but it it's the graphic nature of it is more implied than explicit. Yes. This is all the difference between this one and the one in front of the one before is that this one is subtle while the other one wasn't, but actually you, you, you know, for, of course of the Rondell Jarrell poem. Yes. Because it is, this is, of course, based on it. 
and uh, the 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 final sentence is when I die they wash me out with a hose, <laughs> which is just <laughs> really terrible. Uh, it's just dry, you know. This is what I wanted to do, you know. I actually I wanted to do Joma about Sputnik revolving around Earth, and I don't know how it came out, but it ended up like that. Um, but um, huh. yeah, really, this is why I thought the poem was really beautiful. It was very cons. You know, uh, war poetry. The British war, the British are really, really good at doing that. You know, uh, World War One and something. But those are usually very long poems. We like big wars, getting ourselves into big wars, and then writing poems about how much we don't like war. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in France, there's not so much poems. More, more good books, but uh, uh, British really good with that. But they are long poems. What I really liked about the Randall Jarrell poem is what's really short, really straight up to the point, and really, uh, really effective, you know? I've got it here. Do you mind if I read it quickly, just for the listeners? Yep. From my mother's sleep, I fell into the state, and I hunched in its belly till my wet fur froze. Six miles from earth, loosed from its dream of life, I woke to black flack and the nightmare fighters. When I died, they washed me out of the turret with a hose. You see? Dry. Concise. Straight to the mm. point. So if I wanted to do German about it, it has to be exactly the same. You know? No extra details that doesn't look... Uh, no. It has to be as dry as the poem. And I believe... Well, it's not my worst, anyway. Not my worst, Joama. No. No. I'm not here to judge what your worst is, but it's certainly not this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you may. I, could. <laughs> I did some terrible stuff. I don't remember them, I'll be honest. <laughs> I was looking through your website earlier. And, uh, Better not. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it was all killer, no filler. Um, th- one thing I like about this one as well, that you've got an incredibly good eye for color and composition. And although I like this one because of its meaning, I've always just liked it purely aesthetically as well the, the the colors work really well together did you have you had any uh, you obviously got a design background did you go to art school or what's your background i know you did, but I did we both did good for you Tracy. no i i made five years of law studies after the a level huh? <laughs> <laughs> must be all those uh, museum visits when you were a kid it really sank in yeah, it's, it's, that, well, yeah, it's exactly that. It's sunk in, but I never, never, but I, I, I taught actually to, uh, in art schools quite a lot, but I did this genre before I taught in art school. So that's it really. So the fuselage here, I'm guessing is photo etch. What about the ball turret? Uh, no, the fuselage. Ah, yeah. Uh, the, I don't know the word, but you know, the, the inner rings are done out of photo etch, oh, the but ribs, it yeah. is, uh, yeah, it is the the, uh, the the metallic part is actually you know uh, it's uh, not uh, the foil, uh, foil? Not lead. Yeah, it's foil. Well, it's, it's the word. Actually. No, it was a nightmare to do this ball turret. I took you know a ball for dogs because it has really the the, the right uh, the right uh, diameter, and I uh, I made a, a plaster mold around it. You know, around half of it. And then in the inside, I, I glued all the, all the photo etch, 
pause that you can see here, you know. And then after I press some milliput or whatever putty, you know, just uh, inside the, the, the form. And then I really, I can't even explain it. So it's really a mess to do. Very, very complicated. It sounds like you took the long and the rest way is in plastic. on that one. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I didn't have the choice. I didn't have any vacuum form uh, thing, whatever. I couldn't do that. So yeah, it's really crazy. No, I could do crank that up in 3D in about uh, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, but it's not real modelling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, It's <Will>. different. <laughs> it is real modelling. I'm, I'm winding Will up. No, but I agree with you, Chris. The other day, I, I heard you telling that, uh, you know, the figures modelled in 3D didn't have the warmth of the one that were uh, sculpted by hand. Sometimes they I'm do, sorry to say, uh, but I think it's... It, uh, it's very rare. It's relatively... I don't want to say easy, but there are far more people that can model a figure that looks realistic than can model a good realistic yeah. figure in three... Well, I suppose it's the same with clay, isn't it? And you know why? I, I, I've been thinking about it. Mm. I've been thinking about this, perhaps because the guy that hands sculpted their own figure or something do have... A more artistic mind yeah, than maybe. the guy modeling this in 3D, which have most a geek mind. You know, the sound is perhaps more on the Hans Kurtz side. I don't know. <laughs> I think you do get people who cross over, and they're the ones that make the really good stuff. The people that can do both, because <laughs> Will's an engineer, but he's got a very artistic side, and um, there are a few people out there like that. Uh, now. This one, uh, I love it. Yeah, I do too. There's, oh god, I could, you know, if this was art college, I could spend a couple hours going on about this one. But what it is, we've got. It looks like it's in a museum or something. And there's a column on the right. A young lady in a turquoise dress stood on a broken column, and what looks like half a statue with its arm out that she's resting her head in its hand. But the half a statue yeah. also reminds me of. Do you remember that? I think it was Austrian guy a while ago that dissected people and put them in formaldehyde and um, oh yeah, the, people donated <laughs> their bodies. It kind of reminds me of that because on the outside of the body, the broken stone almost has a sort of decayed flesh color. So what's what's yeah. what's this one about? What can you tell us about this one? Uh, first, uh, all the decor I didn't invented because there's actually a palace in uh, Saint Petersburg, mm. Russia. That is being abundant and it's a very well, uh, known urbex, uh, spot. So there are plenty of pictures about that place, uh, on internet. So I, I just basically, uh, took the colon and the, the, the world setting out of that. But really, uh, this diorama is about, you know, all those persons, you know, that are in love with someone, but you don't know who. It's exactly that. The girl. She's in love with someone, but she will never tell me with whom she is. Well, I know she is. It's just about that, really. That's just completely personal. But at the end of the day, it looks like completely something else. Yeah, you could read all kinds of things into this. It, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Definitely. There's a lot going on, but the, the, the colors are also interesting. You know, you've got one strong yeah. color. You've got the turquoise. And the turquoise is on the wall, which then, you know, the, the pale stone arm jumps out from that color. You know, it, it, it provides a background that, that again, leads your eye perfectly. Because uh, compositionally and 
the composition and the color use in, in your work is really, really strong. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I don't know if you can see it, but there's also, you know, the, the part of the body is really painted blue as well, you know? There's plenty of blue as well. Mm -hmm. So that, no, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, you know, tan colors on the, on the, on the arm and the, the elbow. Uh, you know, that's really paint reflection. Actually, you know, we're talking about 3D or something. But about 20 years ago, I tried to work in 3D, but professionally. And it, I learned at that time only one thing which was important is that I could have learned in, in another way. Is that color reflects on something. Mm -hmm. If you, if you uh, uh, put something white uh, in front of a, of a red uh, surface, you will see that it will become red. So, you know, the colors tend to, uh, to taint the other colors around. This is why I believe that this is also part successful because you can see also, you know, the, the, the blue colors uh, uh, taints everything on it. But it appears to, to do so in the picture, but it's also true on the real scene, you know. It's bathed in blue, really. Mm. You've also controlled the, the way people look at it, you know. Yeah, on those scenes. You know why I'm doing those scenes? Uh, flat ones, because I told you earlier that uh, a genre, you should really turn around it and to see. But this one, you really can't match. It's simply because they're easier to store, because they don't have a big place <laughs> at home, you know. And those ones, I can pile them up. And also, when I sell them, which uh, which is something that I quite enjoy doing, so uh, they tend not to break so much yeah. in the transport. <laughs> People can hang them on the wall or stand them up. And you can hang it on the wall instead of a pine. Yeah, it's uh, those reasons. Now they're always the same size anyway. They're about uh, eight by thirteen centimeters. They're really small. I've got big hands anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like a standard size now? They're all the same size. You know why? Because I I found uh, a series. You know, a three D frames. Mm. They all had the same size, ah. so I had to cram them into them. <laughs> this is why they always took the same size. Always uh, trying to find the practical side of things, you know. It's very, very well to have an artistic mind or whatever, but uh, you've got always, always... What you can see here, okay, I've got an idea about in about two minutes. The problem is not there. The problem is, uh, after that, it's just engineering. Mm. For instance... How can I do so that the, 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 the arm and the elbow don't fall over? So I've got to take that pin at that place that goes straight through the leg. And then it's, it's always, you know, stuff like that. The statue almost looks like it's floating. Yeah, but it, it floats actually. Mm. It just holds from the, 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 the head of the woman, which itself is pinned down the ground. Through the base of the colon and right uh, to the bottom uh, under the floor. So it's complicated. All of the weight goes through the female figure. Now, oh, yeah. Wow, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. This is kind of Jeremiah that I wouldn't do anymore. Mm. I would be much tempted, actually, because, uh, you know, uh, I like doing mischiefs in Jeremiah making. But now, uh, my sons, I've got two sons at home, they slowly grow at the age. Well, they could be uh, uh, forcibly engaged in an army or something. Mm. And um, the more they grow up, the less I see myself uh, joking with that kind of things. 
it was not really a joke. This one was really, uh, you know, the, that's the scene. But if if you if you watch lots of Barbarossa picture, you know that I just took uh, that body from one picture, that one from another. I didn't invent anything. I just put uh, five different bodies that I found out uh, on internet while it's five pictures, and I just crammed them on on a single scene. But what's interesting is what's not present in this picture yeah. is the two herons just flying over, just like they flee because they are purity and they they just want to escape something which is just terrible. But it's terrible, and in the same frame, it's really weird. But I also uh, made it sort of beautiful because the colors it's still bright green, bright. You know, uh, Chris, can you pull? Do you have the photo? Is that the only photo you have of this? The one I. Um, Tracy, do you want to just describe it? Because obviously this is a, a, an audio medium and uh, although people could follow it in the album, they won't know which one we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's better. <laughs> so yeah, this is, a, this is a Russian light tank with T26 maybe. Um, yeah, it is. And there are several dead Russians uh, draped over the turret, over the back engine deck. Uh, there is some water behind the, the tank and a couple of herons taking off from the water. So the reason I, the reason I've always been drawn to this one is not because of anything really going on with the military side of it, but I think it's to me, one of the first, uh, the first times that I saw your work and, and realized I was looking at something that was not normal. It was not just another military diorama. It, it might have been one of the first ones you used uh, birds in, and you did do a series where there there are birds present in a lot of them. So it's a combination of, of the success of being able to model uh, two birds taking off from something, and, and that's that's very difficult. Uh, and it's yeah, done they actually very look like they're in flight. Yeah, and they look natural they don't look like hunks of plastic that are bird shaped they look like <laughs> birds like we're so busy building tanks and converting figures from pointing at one thing to pointing at another and the human form is maybe easier for us to work with because it's our own form but when it comes to successfully modeling an animal it's it's much more rare to see that and this is not only you modeling an animal successfully, but an animal in action, um, which immediately caught my eye. And, and uh, I just thought, wow, that's, that's really difficult. And he's done such a really good job of it. But also it was one of the first times I saw your work where I realized like in this sea of, uh, of muddy colors, you're using these strong colors, just these little pops of color in a way that other people uh, they just don't, you know, whether it's the, the turquoise of the, the tanker's uniform being that bright spot that grabs your eye, but also the, the strong green going on in, in some of the water along with the muddy tones and the, the way the herons pop from the muddy tones underneath them. Just like that whole thing, really, I just remember seeing that and thinking, oh, wow, this is this is not what I'm used to seeing. This is, there's something a lot more going on here. Um, and it's kind of an example of what you, uh, I don't know, a period that you were going through at that point where a lot of birds and a lot of, uh, 
a lot of action taking place on one side of something. And and we'll probably get to more of those because I really love that that composition that you were have been doing on these uh, these horizontal pieces where all the actions over on one side and the the empty yeah. space has got color that that pushes you in there. It's uh, uh, I mean I can talk about that all day because that's the kind of compositional ideas that people who build military models don't they don't get you know. They they want to put something everywhere. They want to put little things everywhere. Yeah. And instead, you're taking. Or an they empty have sp- great big empty dull spaces of just like grass or whatever. Like you were saying, clumps of icky grass or stuff like that. Yeah, they don't they don't understand. You can use, you know, the directionality of what's going on to lead the eye to what you want them to really look at. You know, and this is just one of the first pieces where that concept was illustrated and, and started kind of percolating in my brain. Well, seen what what can I do about it? First, I wouldn't do it anymore this way, because now I, I'm looking back at those pictures and I didn't for about a few years now. Uh, I realized that you've got three hotspots in it. Uh, you've got uh, the birds, you've got uh, the blue tanker, and you've got also that almost white uh, uh, spot uh, here. You can see that at the right of the picture. Right now, what I would do is that I would. First, you know, using animals is very dangerous. I know a lot of drama makers that will do their scenes, you know, with their tongues or whatever. And at one point, they will put a bird, they will put a cat, a dog or whatever. And I know people, people are human, and uh, they will look at the drama, and the first thing they will notice is the cute animal. They say, oh, the dog, oh, the beautiful cat, oh, this is so cute, so sweet, oh, look at... And they just completely bypass the rest. They just look at the cute animal. So, if you believe, like me, that it is true, the animal must always be the center of your scene if you ever decide to, to add an animal. So that means that what I, the way I would have done it now is that I would have made the herons shine more and I probably would have toned down a bit all the other colors. The, so that, you know, to reinforce the impression that all the focus is on the bird, because in practice, the focus is on the bird, you know? But here, the, the eye could sort of disperse between three elements, not, not really, you know, choosing what, what hotspot to just bring your attention first. This is, this is the reaction I have, uh, when, when I, when I'm looking at it. But I'm also very happy about something is that I managed to, to, to create a completely empty space at one point, which is uh, behind the tank. There's nothing going on here. And still, it, it works. It's not very easy, you know, to use empty, empty spaces in an efficient way. But I believe that I manage uh, something interesting here. Well, that's my, my take on it. It's old now. Chris, do you... Um, if you can find the diorama he did of the, the upside-down car with the reindeer... While I'm looking for that, I just want to... Uh, bring one up uh, that I really like, which is I think it's called Baba Yaga, which <laughs> is another one that really caught my eye. It's <laughs> uh, I don't think if you ever noticed that I never ever model Germans in World War Two, mm-hmm. but uh, there's plenty of reasons. We we already discussed that privately, Chris. You perfectly know mm-hmm. that I am. 
It's, it's, it's really weird because, you know, I speak a bit of German. I went plenty of times with Germany. I've got plenty of German friends. But my ideal Germany would be, you know, uh, the hippie one from the 60s or the 70s. Uh, 19 <coughs> Not really the Germans from World War II. No, I, that's really something. I think there's really too much glorification of the Nazi regime in Jarama making. Mm-hmm. As a well. And you've got some really, that's what really, really just amazed me. Is that, um, I think about the one particularly that always doing some, some, some Nazis, whatever, right? He's doing it greatly, just like he's got a bit of soul. And I would prefer him to be very, 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 very bad at the end, right? But well, he's not, sadly. And, uh, so for me, you know, a good Nazi is a dead Nazi. And this is a bit what I showed in the drama. It's as simple as that, you know. I don't like Nazis. I don't like glorifying, uh, the Third Reich or whatever. So you will never ever see me, uh, or, if there's a good reason to do so. But uh, uh, really, uh, no, there's not Nazis anymore. They're dead people. Mm. So <laughs> so that's okay, you know. Uh, actually, uh, you know about Baba Yaga, the, the, the other side of the story. Baba Yaga is the main uh, sorceress of the, of the Slavish folklore. And she's always portrayed in the, in the shape of an old lady. Uh, while I was always thinking, is she so powerful? Why does she take the shape of an old lady? Why she could be a, a cute young lady? And that's what I'm doing here, you know? She raises the dead, but she's a cute lady. So uh, in this one, there's like a pond with three dead Germans yes. floating in it. Well, I say dead, perhaps ghostly in a way. And she's leaning over the pond on like a wooden here or, or table or something reaching out to them and, and one of them, for them. Uh, yeah they she appear to be reaching them. for her yeah and uh we're seeing it from above in this one as well which um you say that, that seeing them from all around but this one i think works best from above although you can view it from other angles yes yes it does actually you could put a, a spot a lamp behind it and it will uh oh okay i tried that it really work, it would work well. Actually, this picture I did it just by holding, you know, vertical, mm. so that I got natural light coming from 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 behind. But that's the best way of seeing it. Yeah. If if you just uh, put it on the table, uh, the water will appear to be dark. Well, it's actually see through. That's cool. Oh, I thought there was a solid base behind it. That's very cool. Because then you get that sort of <laughs> ethereal, unearthly light, don't you, coming from underneath? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was clever painting. Like there you go. <laughs> Give it away your secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's regular painting, but I'm very proud about the girl that which has a scratch built, mm. which I sculpted by myself. So it was was really quite uh, was really happy about that. <laughs> Spent a lot of uh, time doing this. Well, anatomically, right, she's so. very feminine and and you know very correct. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Perfect pose. So here we are. This is the one with the upside down car on the ice and a moose yes. loose. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a moose on the loose. It's a it's a reindeer, my dear. So what what's going on here? Um, uh, this is this is a, a a picture I found on internet, which was an upturned car with the moose. Uh, it's not a moose. How oh, do you say in English? I, I forget. Anyway, a reindeer. Um, yeah. An elk. It's a reindeer. Sorry. It's a reindeer, really, that, uh, that just uh, approaches the car. But uh, 
you know, I, I wanted to complicate the thing. I, f I wanted to do some sort of unbroken chain between the car, the guy, and the reindeer. All the three elements must be connected. This is what I was telling you earlier about how to connect to the scene, you know? All the elements must touch each other, must interpenetrate each other. I really uh, think it's very important. And here I managed to do that, you know, that sort of unbroken chain. Mm. That's, uh, that's the idea, you know, it's a sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, the spirit of the forest or whatever. <laughs> but uh, it also uses uh, uh, empty space in a way that I believe uh, is quite, quite successful. But I, it's not up to me to say. I agree. I've, I, there's so many things that I like about this piece. I like the composition that everything, like we were talking about, everything's pushed to one side, but you've used the color of the ice and the direction of the, the skid to, to lead mm -hmm. the eye to exactly what you want to look at. Um, your empty space is not empty space. It's, it is purposeful, but also it's almost like a big arrow pointing at the car, but exactly. done in a really subtle way. Yeah. But it's also cause and effect. Like in your mind, you're like, Oh, the reindeer was in the road. He swerved to avoid the reindeer. He flipped the car and now the reindeer is here. You know, it's uh, it tells the story of before and after, I think, effectively. Or, you know, the story that I'm reading into before anyway. But it, there's, there's a series... I like, I like your take. I, I think there's a series that you've done with this sort of composition where you you push things yeah. to the side and, and use color and direction. Man, it's just great. I love it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I still like it. I think it's one of my best when it comes to composition. Because, uh, yes, indeed, I tend to, to just cram all the bits in, in one corner and then try to compensate because there's, uh, you know, you've got to, to, to fetch for balance, you know, in German making, not a symmetry. Symmetry is just terrible. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, I think that you, you can create some really extreme kind of balance and it, it may work. May. It's risky, but... Yeah, definitely. but it's it's um, you know sometimes taking a risk is what can spur your creativity to do something different. Yeah, but you know uh, there's something. Usually, when I'm doing such uh, weird balances, I start. You know, first I model everything. I've got all things which are unpatent, which I place on the paper, and then after I cut the paper until I can't cut it anymore. You know. And there I know that I've got the, the, the right amount of place for the scene. Because I've been seen every now and then, you know, uh, scenes that are, that are just too, too, too crowded to really work. Or conversely, uh, pieces that are just too big, you know, um, <laughs> your drama must never be bigger than its idea. That's it. That's a great phrase to, to bear in mind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very concise. And yet, Ruth, it has to be. It has to be the most concise possible. But sometimes it has to be big to be concise. You know, it's not a question yeah. of a physical place. It's just a question of uh, holding all the bits together. Everything on there, though, has to work towards the, the aim of the diorama. Exactly. There can't be anything... Um, exactly extraneous uh, what's the word anything redundant on the base at all if you can wipe out something you wipe it you're back to economy again <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, and, or, or, or you're calling yourself Van Linden and you put always some jerry cans in a corner or something <laughs> of, uh, of spent shell case or something. Uh, I don't think it really, uh, it really brings a lot to the scene, but if you like, okay, uh, you make, uh, indeed, indeed, uh, some sellers, uh, can, can sell their, their peer, peer stuff, you know. <laughs> this one is good too. This is another one of the, the recent smaller vertical ones, I guess you'd say, with a, a girl. Uh, the outside of a building with a hand on a windowsill and a feet on a ledge, thin ledge, reaching across to a bricked up window where some flowers are growing between the bricks. So is there a story, particular story to this one? What was the idea behind this one? I did the dream, really. Uh, actually, the, 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 the building itself is uh, a factory, which is also in St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, a derelict factory, which is, which is called the Red Triangle. I never thought the red triangle sounded that communist to me, but anyway, it's a, uh, it's, it's really a, a perfect model of, of, of the place. But I, I, I had a dream like that of a, of a girl I know looking for me from above while trying to, to, you know, to, to stand on, on the, on the ledge like that. And, uh, I thought the idea was really good and I should really uh, do it. So I did really, really very fast. Um, I guess it's also, you know, uh, you know, all the, the British Victorians were apparently uh, quite in air uh, in front of, uh, you know, the the girl lunatics in the in asylums. You know, there's sort of an obsession about uh, the mm-hmm. Victorian uh, men, about uh, uh, crazy girls. I don't know how to express this point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, I, I really like, you know, um, this Victorian uh, uh, era, especially in, in, in Britain, of course, all the painters or something. And there's this element, you know, about the madness here. I, I think I got that in mind while, while I did that drama. And uh, really what was funny is that I had that drama in front of me for a couple of weeks and I thought it didn't work. And then I had that idea just to add those tiny flowers. It worked. You know, sometimes you, you end up a scene and uh, there's something which is not working. You know that it's boring or what, you know, it's one-dimensional. And you got it in front of you, you know, for weeks, weeks. And then you got the click. And yeah, it was the flowers. There was not flowers before. Put some blue flowers. Uh, the colors just uh, cry in front of the, the other yellow weather. It, it works. You only notice one thing. You notice the flowers. You don't notice anything else. That was the point. But the point I found out afterwards... <laughs> So before she was reaching just for nothing, kind of reaching out? Yes, definitely. She, she was just trying to escape, you know. She was just, you know, with her hand like, like that, uh, just trying to, to feel the wall, just if it was an empty space under the window, or because there is no way uh, that she could have looked beyond some certain point because she's too much, uh, you know, in front of the of the wall. Right, she has to cling to the wall so not to fall. Yeah. So, you know, you, you would just, you know, test with your yeah. hand if, if there's an opening. But there's no opening, actually. This is pretty despairing, Yorama. But there are some flowers. So now she picks up some flowers. So you see, the idea of the Yorama shifted uh, in one, in, in one uh, you know, stroke of, uh, of light. So I, I assume that whenever the, the blue flowers became part of the diorama, that you came back and added a little blue to the, the boarded up window? Yes. That's it. Yeah, it's it's a uh, you know she's she's escaping, you know, confinement for freedom, and and you've got the the contrast of industrial and natural. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 
It's very effective. Thank you very much. Reminds me also, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Manchester in, uh, in about the <laughs> mid 90s. There was plenty of, of places like that right in the center of the city. So I was yeah. so uh, uh, thinking about that too. Yeah, the, the Manchester, for those that don't know, was a, a huge industrial centre in um, Victorian times. So, there's, yeah, there's hundreds of red brick warehouses and old buildings and from that period that are all, yeah, they look a lot like this. Uh, what I like is the way that the fill-in bricks are less saturated than the original bricks. So that helps the flowers lift even more because it's almost like greying out slightly behind where the flowers are and where she's reaching towards which helps it all pop and stops it just being a wall of red all the way across well again he's directing the eye you know yeah this one i mean we're getting a bit of a theme here there's a lot of um young girls in your work lately <laughs> lately yes that must be you know rich in 15 <laughs> <laughs> take care chris you, you're not 50 yet i believe you've got uh you got you're two years younger than me i, I think so this is ah. a, a young lady sat on a stepladder painting a, a model of a planet yeah definitely uh <laughs> that's a funny story you know there are some people around me that uh that um, are able to uh, generate some uh, german ideas in me it's amazing so really this is a uh, uh, I, I put that on instagram by the way uh if we were talking about jupiter or something you know about all oh, there was all those storms you know uh on mm. jupiter and at the same time she was also telling me that uh, uh at one point in a in a party where she was invited she just threw out everything and just left in a, in a, you know and i was thinking about it Actually, you're Jupiter, <laughs> and she kind of like it. <laughs> so I did that drama, you know, because she's a easy, you know, easygoing person. But sometimes there are some big storms, you know, and when there are some big storms, you better leave. <laughs> so this is it. This is that that same girl uh, painting herself a little storms on our huge planet. I really like the uh, the window. I didn't even invented it. I found it while I was searching for round-shaped windows on, on Google and found that one. And uh, actually, it's good because it, uh, this is all this is sort of, uh, you know, a, a solar system. Yeah. You know, you've got this. It sort know, of represents the sun. Was the yeah. idea. Exactly, exactly. And behind it, it's just a white paint. That's <laughs> nothing else. It's actually, I think it's my preferred one, my preferred genre because the composition is really good, and it uh, means something about me too. And uh, I like the colors; I think it's really good. Well, it's a. I only ended up. There's a there's a bit of a circular composition going on. You you know, from the floor you go up the ladder to her, around the planets back to the floor. Like it just you're, you direct the eye to continue moving around the the piece. And there's no place for the eye to stop and for that movement to stop. So it's it's super cool uh, circular composition. Thank you very much. It was really improvised. I never even realized it until you said it. <laughs> it's a really tight composition, though. Again, there's no space in there that's wasted. Yeah. Everything, you know, works to serve the, the story you're trying to tell. And actually, yeah, with the yes. stormy girl and the storms on Jupiter and everything, it, it really, uh, <laughs> it means even more now you've explained that. 
when all the broken things underneath the ladder uh, where, where yeah. the storms have passed, maybe. Yeah, it's the plaster, really. But yeah, also, yeah, yeah the bits of plaster here and there. You know, how did I do it, this one? Uh, I think, you know, this is something I say about 3D, you know. I always use it wisely, cautiously. And then there's also mm-hmm. something that I believe is that you need the real material in 135, uh, the, you know, you, you, you have to, to, to stay the most, uh, okay, should. But anyway, if you are, uh, doing a stone wall, you try to make your model in stone. If you're doing a, a tank, uh, a tank is made in metal, your model should be in metal because of the way the light will reflect the stuff. You know, it's, so here what you can see is the wall behind it was actually designed in 3D. But then I did a form and I put some plaster in it because I wanted to have really the texture of plaster and certainly not the texture of 3D. It's very important. Which means that when I had my wall after, I just take some regular plaster and I plastered, you know, all the, all the round shape you got. It's real plaster, you know, uh, put with okay. a knife. I did that in about two minutes and it was designed in 3D, but actually what you're seeing is just definitely plaster. So always be creative when you use 3D because this is uh, very curled, actually. All right, one last one, I think. This is uh, one of your later ones, uh, and it's a it's young. Very happy. Yeah, we spoke on the uh, last show about this one. So it's a girl stood on a balcony with pot plants and a blue window and a yellow wall, and she's got one of the plants in her hands over her head. So it looks like she's going to throw it at someone in the street. What's what's happening with this one? Uh, just to clarify for our American viewers, uh, a pot plant is not a marijuana plant. It's a plant in a it's pot. A it's plant. not a plant that is pot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so <laughs> I think I got a yeah because I I know I know a Spanish girl which used to be my student which I see every now and then and uh, I can feel behind you know. Uh, a very hot temper, you know, very, <laughs> and I don't know. I was discussing with her just like that. I, I had the, the image of her just throwing some pots at some people, uh, uh, below. I thought it was a really funny idea. So I, I thought to myself that I would be definitely doing this diorama. So I, I, about six months later, I did it, you know, and, um, and that's it. I, I think I really wanted to experiment with very vivid colors with some bright colors and do something which would be a little bit uplifting, you know, less uh, uh, slightly depressing, like a lot of your was I'm doing. Uh, not so much intense. Why mm, something a bit fun? I can't do any more fun than, than this, really. There's definitely humor in this one. Yeah. Yes, there are some. I don't know what her boyfriend's done, but he's going he's gonna to have a headache <laughs> later. Definitely. And then you see you've got maybe, some... maybe he did something very this... minor. I mean, it, it tells it yeah. tells the story of a very hot-tempered woman as well. You know. <laughs> anyway, she just froze the pot. It was really some job, you know, to paint each and every pot. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I didn't <laughs> just... even think of that. Oof, oh, yeah. How did you do the railing? Yeah, uh, it's really, really. I wouldn't have been able to do that uh, another way. Well, you could, but it'd be laborious. I could, yeah, but uh, honestly, I would have get mad if I would. I know I'm very impatient and nervous kind of person. I'd be able to do that. 
Yeah, you know, you know how it is, Chris. Uh, it's just like, you know, um, the tracks of a tank. Yeah, well, it's yeah. not to do one. Oh. It's to do about 50 that took exactly the same. Yeah. Now it's that. So yeah, I could have indeed modeled, you know, one, one of the, the parts, but you know, you should have six or seven near, which would have been, you know, perfect to fit. So there wouldn't have been. So I, it would have ended up, I would have put more parts, you know, just to hide the places where it didn't work. <laughs> so. You see, I don't, don't have your tail on that scratch building. You have to do, use the right tool for the job. And 3D printing that railing is, is the right way to do it. Exactly. And really, my fun is about uh, uh, doing some composition and some painting. Yeah. Uh, uh, buildings, a bit less, really. I think I think it's really wonderfully uh, uh, relaxing. For instance, I built uh, two weeks ago uh, ICM's... Uh, Model T Ford. It was the first time in, in months I was building a kit and it was so relaxing. I could think about everything <laughs> else. You're watching TV while modeling the thing. It's just, you know, just the sound you grew and something. It's relaxing. This is a lot less relaxing when you paint or something like that, really. So yeah, building models is really therapeutical. I really, really believe that. I should model more. Yeah. Well, the- you were asking about the door, Tracy. Oh, I ask if you three D printed the door and the window as well. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, what didn't I? Uh, some of the plans were not three D. The wall is not three D, but uh, uh, yeah, the window is and uh, the railings is really. And uh, you know the the big plans. The yeah, you know, you know those those uh, monstera mm-hmm. they're called. It's really funny because, you know, the Monstera, everybody used them in their tropical dioramas where you only can find them in Madagascar. <laughs> so uh, when I see a diorama... I didn't know that. A, a, a Vietnam War diorama, where you see those plants, I always am pretty. <laughs> you know, this is really something... It must be a garden. The people... <laughs> You, you, you know, the, the Jura makers, you know, they made all kind of researches on their tongues for them to be hyper accurate on something. And they just missed something that most, a lot of people outside of the modeling world would see, would look at. You know, the jungle in Vietnam is not like the one that is mostly done in Jaramas. It's less fun. I mean, it's not palm trees everywhere. It's just a, a leaf, basic leaves and boring trunks, you know. There's not, there's not all this very interesting vegetation. This kind of really beautiful vegetation you can, you really find, you know, in big offices of big companies, uh, entrance <laughs> always. <laughs> or, 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 or on, 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 on railings, you know, of windows, but you can't find them in real nature. At least not in the historically significant uh, uh, places where most modelers like to place their scenes. It's like desert scenes. People always just have like this sea of sand. But if you look at North Africa, some of it's no. quite green <laughs> and some of it's quite rocky and it's it's not really like a beach, nice flat sand. We absolutely agree with that. It's interesting you talk about how building models is therapeutic versus... This, oh, yeah. you know, the, the painting, once you get into painting, when you build a model, for the most part, if you're building a kit, you're not making the decisions. The decisions have been made for you. You 
you're preparing the parts, you're gluing the parts, you're following the instructions. But when you get into painting, you have to paint. uh, All those decisions are yours to make, and they have to be made by you. So So it requires concentration. It requires thinking and and what we always talk about, like micro decision, where you, you paint one thing and suddenly you have to go back and adjust this other thing slightly. All these little micro decisions along the way as you're working towards your final product. So it, it's, uh, it's almost like it's engaging two different sides. So, um, yeah, building a model is therapeutic. Painting a model is, uh, <laughs> you have to be engaged. Yeah, definitely. Yes, but you, uh, you can also be engaged when you're building kids. I mean, uh, I, I doubt Chris that your, you model your churches straight from the box. For instance, I told that I was do, uh, I built uh, the Ford T from ICA, but what you don't know is that I transformed it into a purse. <laughs> you know, it's, I did. Uh, the 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 T twenty six that you saw previously, it was uh, not the Hobby Boss uh, uh, kit, which was not out at the moment. It's a crap Zvezda kit Ooh. with all kind of P. Uh, it's a compact zip uh, turret, you know. Pff, Plenty, plenty of stuff because uh, I, I just can't build out of the box. I've got to add things anyway. So this is therapeutic too, but less like so. <laughs> <laughs> so building out of the box, I think, is the relaxed part. But uh, uh, we are not doing it, uh, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish with what are you working on at the moment? I've seen the hearse. Is that part of a scene that you're working on or? Nah, I had the idea, but I like something, so it will uh, <laughs> it will stay in a corner for about uh, I don't know when. No, I'm working right now on a on a diorama which is will be based on Kiev, uh, in Kiev. Mm. It will be um, it should be out on Sunday if if I manage to paint figures. Is then it's a dancer which will dance uh, on the railings of uh, of. Uh, of uh, of a stairs really inside a building. I think it. Uh, I think it's going to be. It may be really nice at the end because there are plenty of uh, of uh, of games of lightnings. Uh, I try to do that, and otherwise, I'm a bit. Uh, you know, since the, the the AK book is out, I don't have much ideas. <laughs> really, I'm a bit. Uh, it's done now. I can do whatever I want, but I think that I will do. Um, uh, a Russian locomotive next, you know, one of those big things, you know, I will build that. But nothing too sure, nothing too certain. I'm still working on, See on what, the idea. Uh, it, it might pop up. Inspiration pops up between now and then. Yeah, usually it does that. What's the book called? Uh, it's called Water, Light and the Works. Actually, I, uh, I found out myself Water and Light. But they just put the works in the box, so I tend to forget <laughs> what's the Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's from uh, AK Interactive, so people can go online and yeah. look for that one. You also have a website. Where can people find that? Uh, it's uh, jeandiorama.com. But uh, I don't... Uh, it, it should be worked a little bit more than, than, than the way it is right now. So if people want to see the most up-to-date stuff, they can find you on Instagram. Which account should they look yeah. for? Uh, it's uh, Jean Durama too, I think. I think so. Yeah, it's uh, Jean Durama. Detecting <laughs> a brand here. And also... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's not my real name. Your uh, JB Diorama on Facebook? 
yes. No? Yep. No. Oh, yes, or G, B, A, B. You know, I always, uh, <laughs> I always have the, the right name in front of the eyes. This is why I, I forget to go. It's, it's Jean Diorama on Facebook too. Ah, thank you, thank you. Oh yes, because because I had to to change my name. I had to change my name because I was reported as being uh, a wrong name. So I had to, uh, you know, to change anyway. So it's not JB, it's it's Sean. It's just okay, really. You're also going to be at World Expo doing a demo. Is that right? Yeah. A workshop. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. right. Sorry. And what would yeah. the workshop be on? Uh, bidding a show. I think I did. Uh, I said uh, bidding a show. Yes, I've got a few tricks to, to, to show about water, you know, water, sound, and also about uh, vegetation, what you can find in the show and all. Uh, it's still, you know, I've got the idea now I have to really uh, think about it a little bit better. I know some things that I have to show. Yeah, but it might, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I got two days, you know, in front of guys to just really teach the thing. But no, it's... Um, it's only a few hours, so I got to, to be realistic <laughs> about the amount of things I, I can show, you know. So, especially with things that take time to do, that's the problem. Uh, so, people yeah. need to sign up for that to make sure they get a seat. Uh, and the best place to go is wme2020.com because, of course, World Expo was Definitely. supposed to be in 2020 before the Great Plague, uh, but that's on <laughs> uh, beginning of July. July this year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's the first weekend. So go on to the website, book your seat, make sure you get to see Jean do his magic. John, thank, thank you, you for much. joining us on the Sprue Cutters Union. Thanks to both of you. Very nice to meet you, Tracy. And uh, good to Chris, meet you. Uh, <laughs> until next time. <laughs> Tetra Model Works are a leading producer of premium photo etch sets for all kinds of modeling genres. From armor to ships to aircraft and more, they make some of the best PE you can buy. And I know because I use it myself. I love it so much I even sell it in my own store. The design is outstanding, sharp and clean detailed, well designed folds and easily constructed assemblies. Easy to use, their high quality brass is just the right thickness and strong so it won't break on you. Their sets provide the maximum of detail but never with parts you don't need or can't use. Instructions are clear and very easy to follow. Sold in hobby stores around the world, just look for Tetra Model for the very best in photo etch and accessories. You can find a full list of their distributors at tetramodel.com. Inside the Armour is a leading publisher of scale modelling books and we are now excited to announce that we are also stocking Seals Models 1700 Japanese ships. These are plastic kits of Japanese pre-dreadnoughts and exploration vessels. In addition, we are selling Tetra Model PE, Yamashita Hobby, and a range of other exciting and interesting modeling items. Go to www.insidethearmor.com for more. Okay, so we're back. Guys, what did you think of the interview, Will? So yes, I did listen to it, uh, because unfortunately, as I said earlier, I, I, I missed being able to participate. I, I have had a lot of things going on here at El Rancho Patterson that uh, forced me, unfortunately, to not be able to participate in that conversation that day. Which I hated, but I, I did listen to it. It's a good interview, as of, of course I would expect. You guys did a fantastic job. But, you know, beyond that, I don't have a lot to add because I wasn't there. I thought that was a great interview. I like I, Obviously, if you listen to the uh, entire episode up to this point, I've, I've mentioned several times how, you know, uh, specific things that he said. I turned around and looked at my own work immediately and, and immediately benefited from the conversation, you know. Uh, 
but he's just man he he makes he makes paintings out of modeling materials in 3d like he's he's not he's he's past the rest of us his path is kind of slightly diverged and running parallel um in that you can sit down and talk to him about modeling materials and concepts and things like that but the thing that I thought was like crazy is how fast he is. You know, he's, yeah. he's working on several things at a time, obviously, but you know, he was talking about how the, I can't recall if it was the, the girl throwing the flower pot down or if it was the girl on the wall reaching for the flowers where it was like, yeah, that took three weeks. And he's just like, it's it, the spontaneity of that comes across in his work. Like his work feels Wait, really what? Kind that of, the, the, the flower pot thing took three weeks. One of those two that we were talking about, yeah. yeah. That's it's... not fair. No, but he just, he sits down and like punches it out, man. He, he's, wow. I think he said he doesn't have a TV. Yeah, so he, he just watch TV. He so... just, if he's not at work or with his family, he's working on a model. I mean, look, I wasn't there, but I know enough about this dude to know he is existing on a purely creative plane that is way beyond where any of the rest of us exist. He's, it's really hard to be unique in this hobby, but he is. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, and I include myself, just kind of do the same things. A lot of us I build a tank, same tank a lot of people have built, or a plane. And you might put a wrinkle on it to try and make it a bit different, but he's from another... He's like, have you ever seen The Man That Fell to Earth with David Bowie? That's him. <laughs> just I, I in a strange a, land. I get... I get a feeling if you were sitting at a smoky cafe drinking a glass of wine and, and he starts talking to your girlfriend, you'd better keep an eye on your fucking girlfriend. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just like, he's, he's so fucking smooth and like, yeah, man, I just put this out. And, you know, the, here's the concept behind it. And here's like, boom. And you're just like, I, I like blue. And, <laughs> you know, you just suddenly you feel like, what the fuck do I have to offer? You know, like, my girlfriend is going to leave with this man if I'm not careful. I like, I like my bubbles. <laughs> Here's my art. <laughs> Would you like another glass of wine? No, she can't have another glass of wine. Or she'll go home with you, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Come on, honey, get in the Citron. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Tracy's really thought this through a lot. He's no, that was all spontaneous. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's all the that's well that's a, that's an entire script right there. Man, it's just like he, yeah, he's just uh, he's fucking smooth and and talented and just it makes it all seem so fucking effortless. It's a little bit irritating, but at the same time, like. You just listen to him talk, and you're like, "Well, fuck, man!" Like, yeah, you're you're a little bit ahead of us on in terms of like what you pulling what you have in your head out and putting it into three dimensions. Like, he's just really fucking good at that. What would be hilarious is if like his next project is a smoky bar scene with a girl, <laughs> a dude who and looks me. a little like Tracy. <laughs> Oh, that would be great. He could probably do it in about and a he, month. He could. He could pull it off in like three Yeah, he weeks. could sculpt everything and like, you know, pick his color palette and take it to World Model Expo and win a Golden Masters. Something that really jumped out at me was when he said that 
a lot of his stuff stalls because it's waiting for that one thing that really makes it you know it's not right it doesn't have that one element or factor and i think too often i do certainly with dioramas i get so far with it and then i kind of i just finish it and it's just it's not satisfying for some reason there's something not right about it and i should have stopped and waited till i had that thing you know yeah you're not great at that i feel like by nature of my schedule i'm the one who stops and like I can't work on something for a week, so I keep staring at it and keep staring at it. You're just nonstop. Uh, this Churchill one's been going on a long time. I've been trying to do it with that one. I've been trying to sort of consider every step and think about what I'm doing. A long time? How long have you been working on the Churchill? Let's let's let's, let's run the numbers right now. Yeah, On and off <laughs> since about, I think, October. Which on for me off. is a long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't really get you didn't you, you didn't really get focused on that thing until what like a month ago. Yeah, probably. But that's well, I mean, a long time okay. for me. But to to um, you know to his credit, he's changed everything that he's not been satisfied with about it. He's changed, mm-hmm. you know, which is maybe not something he would have taken the time to do, you know, before. But yeah. all these, I think you know, a lot talk... more about everything I do since we started this podcast. And yeah, since absolutely. Since we spoke to Jean, my standards are even higher now. It's more like, fuck it, that's not good enough. <laughs> and the thing is, it's it, you're not wrong. Your instincts aren't wrong. If you look yeah. at it and, and it's not good enough, you got to listen to those instincts. You know, I, I tell my bartenders all the time, if somebody walks in and immediately you get a bad feeling, don't ignore that. Because you ignore it at your own peril. You're going to have a problem with this person because your instincts are never wrong. And they're not. So it's just a matter of figuring out what it is about the project you're working on that's not working. And it's none of it. It's not like it's not like your your instincts are going to say it's time to throw this in the trash and start over from scratch. It's always just like, you know, maybe two steps back to take one step forward. So it's just a matter of whether you want to do it or not. Do you want to take those two steps back and and fix this little thing that could make it better? Or do you want to just keep pushing on and and pay more attention next time? Yeah, it's up to you. I think maybe it's more that in the past I wouldn't have even known there was something wrong or just wouldn't have had any idea what it was. That I just couldn't. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't. And the more we talk to people and the more we interview these amazing people we've had on the show, the more able I am to spot what's wrong with it and fix it. I've learned a lot, you know, an awful lot since we started doing this. And you you never even know like what level of detail that may reach with some of like us or or our listeners. Like I had a really nice private message a couple of days ago from a listener who was like, man, I never even thought about grit progression with my sanding process until you guys talked about it on the podcast. And I was like, you know, some people might, you know, some asshole might be like, well, duh. But I was like, you know what? That's awesome. We got you guy. We got this guy to think about something at that level of detail and his craftsmanship improved. And that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, we're all learning. Like we learn from each other. The three of us learn from each other. And I'll tell you something I picked up from Will and he just happened to mention it. And it was like, wait, what the fuck did he just say? Um, and I've been using it ever since. And I've told other people about it. 
and it's just fucking magic. And he doesn't even know what I'm talking about because I don't. I'm like, well, okay. He just he said it in passing, and I'm sure you didn't come up with it, and I'm sure other people knew about it. But for me, it was a fucking light bulb moment. Using liquid frisket to hold parts together temporarily. <laughs> Like, uh, that was just, like, a game changer, especially with, like, uh, the figures that I've been working on. I can assemble these figures using liquid frisket, and they hold well enough for me to put them in place, but they're not glued together, not even with white glue. I don't have to pop them off like that. It's it's an easy way to just remove an arm and make a minute adjustment and stick it back together. It's magic. Like, um, for photo shoots, for, for a vehicle that you... You have some sub assemblies, you know, I've used liquid frisket to tack everything together to make the photos for the end of one stage and then untack it and do the painting and then before gluing it back together properly. Just one of those little things you said in passing that I was like, fuck off. I use that every day now. <laughs> shit, shit. That makes my day. Here's here's a cool story. It's even worse than that. Like the the sliding canopy on my P40 is permanently attached with liquid frisket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's... For those of us listening in England, what the fuck is liquid frisket? Uh, masking fluid. Masking, masking fluid, yeah. Okay. What, is it clear or something then? Well, it depends. I mean, there's different... Yeah, this is a whole subject, man, because there's two no, different Oh, let's not get into it, because we're, we're over two hours yeah. now. <laughs> I think I think uh, it's kind of like rubber cement, right? Okay. Well, it's rubbery, but it's not okay. cement at all. Yeah. Well, oh, one Jesus. kind of it, one kind of it Fucking is rubbery. Next week, glue chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, that that was something I picked up from Will that that was kind of like a little game changer. So yes, we're all learning. Like everybody who's listening to this. Whether you want to or not, you're probably going to pick up on something that sticks. Uh, we can't help well, it. Dude, we look, I just want to, I just want to say again, that legit really makes me happy. And thank you for taking the time to, to tell that, tell me that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And the only other thing I have to add, I'm gonna, I, we got a quote. Uh, Chris got a quote on one of his posts today, which I think is maybe a good way to wrap this up. And it has nothing really to do with the post, but our our good buddy Vance Lubin posted. This hobby is like a cat. We love it, and it's trying to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems to be the best way to end it, man. Adios, bitches. Goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. I got a pretty good story about mooning somebody. <laughs> you want to hear it? <laughs> Go on, why not? Well, you have, you have to now. So I was in high school, and at my high school, all of the uh, the lunchroom ladies were also the bus drivers. And my PE coach was the guy who coordinated all the buses and the bus drivers and all that kind of stuff. And I had a couple of buddies, and uh, we rode the bus together, and... Uh, one day, Lee got a car. He's like, hey, man, 
I'm coming to pick you up and we're going to drive to school. Great. So we did that on the way home. Somebody, I don't think it was me. Somebody had the, came up with a great idea. Was like, let's get in front of our bus. And every time the bus stops to let kids off, let's all jump out and moon everybody. And so <laughs> that's what we did. We got in front of the, we were in a car in front of the bus. And every time the bus would stop to let kids off, we'd jump out and moon everybody. All the kids on the bus were fucking dying. Even the bus driver was laughing. And then, you know, we got to, to my stop and I'm like, peace, and went inside. And the next day I'm in PE and playing basketball with the coach who's the, the coordinator of the, the bus drivers and everything. And uh, this uh, this girl from the office comes in and says, the uh, the principals want to see Tracy Hancock. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I literally had no idea why I was being called to the office. No idea. So we had an uh, a principal and two assistant principals. And... They brought me into like the smallest office. It was probably six foot square, <laughs> and all three of them were in there. <laughs> They're all like this. <laughs> Wait, and for I'm you. like, oh. and even even then, I was like, "What is going on?" And they, uh, you know, I came in, I sat down, and they said, "So, Tracy, do you do you have a problem with your bus driver?" And I said, "No, she's awesome. I love her. Like she she was. She's a fantastic lady." And they're like, well, then why did you moon her 17 times yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, because it was funny. And they said, do you think it'd be funny if all three of us dropped our pants right now and mooned you? And I said, I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> and they said, well, what we think would be hilarious is if you and your two buddies come to school on Saturday for the next month and you clean the buses <laughs> inside and out. <laughs> And I just start slow clapping. I'm like, that's great. Oh, my God, that's great. Like, which one of you guys came up with that? And they kind of looked at each other. And I said, unless your authority extends to public streets, I wasn't on school grounds. I wasn't in a school vehicle. Mm. Like, there's really nothing you can do to me. So I won't be coming in on Saturdays. And they just kind of sat there and looked at each other. And I was like, well, if we're done, I'm going to go back to the... To, to class and play <laughs> basketball. And I went back in and, and started playing basketball. And the, the coach, who again was the coordinator of all the buses, said, uh, so I guess I'll be seeing you on Saturday. And I said, no, I wasn't on school grounds. And he was like, oh, oh, no, you weren't. And I was like, no, I wasn't. And, <laughs> but my other two buddies, not so quick thinking, and they came in on those Saturdays for a month and cleaned those buses. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I've always been pretty quick on my feet. 